Welcome everyone to the Fandom Podcast Network, and you are watching Time Warp 1982, 40 years later of pop culture, movies, music, and we are discussing the fall winter months from September through December of 1982. In a special edition, we're going to cover these, uh, you know, this year, and we this is our fifth episode of 1982. We've covered quite a bit, and so we're lucky. We're really excited about getting into the uh, the fall and winter months and all the pop culture in between. And uh, over the last few years at the Fandom Podcast Network, we've celebrated the movies of the 80s and the 90s, but we've, of course, have decided to go back in time to 19. 80s again and look back on the fantastic year of movies of pop culture of 1982. Why? Because everything in 1982 is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. Oh, God, we feel old. Welcome to part five of Time Warp 1982. I'm Kevin, your host, and I'd like to introduce my guests to this time travel journey back to 1982. First, I'd like to introduce my brother of the Fandom Podcast Network, co-founder of the Fandom Podcast Network, Hi, Wagner. What's up, buddy? As you can see, I have my appropriate time travel gear on for this episode. So I'm excited for that. But I got to throw a quick shout out. I got to throw a quick shout out, Kevin, because today we lost an icon athletically of this time of the 80s. The great Pele passed away today, the master of the beautiful game. And if you grew up in the, in the early 80s, late 70s, wide roller sports, all that, you knew who Pele was. And Pele was worldwide on the level of, like of a michael jordan that, i mean man this is what? true so uh, well, i think we talked about i think we talked about his movie last year from 1981 with sylvester stallone the soccer movie what was that called again victory 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 yes yeah rest in peace pele a uh, a worldwide icon um we're talking about 1982, and we can't do this, Kyle, without the queen of movie foo herself, Miss Lacey Adderhold, aka Lacey Pants. Welcome. Hello, hello. How are you? I am well. I am well. I was sad to hear about Pele. He was pretty much the only soccer player I knew about until David Beckham came along. Like, <laughs> I, true, yeah. <laughs> you know, as a kid, I didn't do a lot of sports. I was what you might call an indoor kid. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was, uh, the, the, the huge icons are the ones that I, you know, recognize their names. Yeah. Well, rest in peace, Pele. Uh, I know a lot of people really, uh, um, have a special, uh, place in, in their hearts for him because, uh, he represented a lot of people and, uh, um, and, uh, he will be missed. Now, guys, this is the Fandom Podcast Network. If you're listening to this and not watching this on YouTube, I recommend you go check out the YouTube on the Fandom Podcast Network because this episode is going to have a lot of fun visual aids uh, talking about the pop culture of 1982 and, of course, the movies. So make sure you check out YouTube. And uh, 82 has a nickname, Kyle. The greatest geek year ever. Would you agree? It's up there there's a lot of good geek movies in this in this year i don't know if i call it the greatest ever but it, I, I put it in it's definitely got a place in the top five <laughs> well uh this little segment before we get into stuff this is the uh you know what did you watch previously or that we discussed that you maybe hadn't seen before because we went into this year uh in 81 a little bit differently we decided to talk about films that we hadn't seen 
maybe just heard about and maybe try to get our interest into watching them as well as the ones we have seen. So I wanted to, first of all, uh, go to you, Lacey. What did you watch from any previous uh, episodes of 1982 40th anniversary that you want to bring to the table? Well, I did finally watch Parasite. Um, there are three levels of bad movie. There's bad. And then there's like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious because it's so bad. And then there's like, oh no. I can't get those two hours back. Just to clarify, this is the one with Demi Moore's first movie appearance. Yes, it was the time travel that was, or not time travel, but the it was the period piece. It was shot in the eighties, set in the nineties, and the reason I wanted to watch it was because of what the wardrobe was going to potentially look like, (laughs) and I was not impressed. It was just kind of so Um, not good. Yeah, you know, no, mm -mm. (laughs) but you know. It was two hours of my life. I started crocheting a new scarf. (laughs) Well, Well, that's good. Probably looked at the phone a little bit. That's what we do here. That's what we do. (laughs) So that's all right. So uh, I I did a couple of things. First of all, Kyle, I finally found a copy of the amateur. This is an alternate logo for it right there. I I finally watched that. Do you, you saw this, you remember this, right? I remember this. It's been a very long time since I've watched it, but I also know it was one of my parents' favorite movies in the 80s. Yeah, it uh, was uh, pretty interesting. Uh, it's about a it, basically it's about a CIA guy who's like the, the the computer nerd, where computers were starting to become a thing within the CIA, and his uh, they say wife on IMDb, but I think it was his fiance was killed in a terrorist takeover of an embassy. I think it was somewhere in Russia, basically, and he takes this personally, of course, and he's able to. Uh, um, manipulate his bosses to get information through the computer that he's using and then actually get into Russia with a little help from a, um, a CIA guy and um, able to finally tr- help like track these people down and, 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 you know, get revenge. And it was pretty good. It was a nice kind of cold war thriller. Uh, John Savage was the, uh, the star. Christopher Plummer was someone who was helping him kind of, uh, not bad. I actually liked it. It was worth the track down. Uh, the next thing that I saw, guys, is uh, oh, what's this one? Oh, it's called Six Pack with Kenny Rogers. I saw this. Uh, Got to say, it's pretty cute. Pretty cute. I liked it. Uh, I liked that they actually raced in Georgia in areas that I knew where it was. <laughs> <laughs> Diane Lane. Yes, give me. Okay, Aaron Gray. Cute, but man, yes. young Diane Lane in the eighties. Whew, Kyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I'll have a movie for you with Diane Lane. Where I think it maybe it's in, in eighty three. It's either eighty three or eighty four. That it's eighty three. Check it. You know which one I'm talking about. I right? think so. Yeah. Say, okay. it, Lady Beware. Oh, I haven't <clears throat> seen it. We'll talk about that later next year, maybe. <laughs> All right. Next, I watched the pirate movie. Actually, tempted to watch the pirate movie. I'm sorry, Lacey. I could not get through the first half hour of this film. Uh, it was just too corny for me and not enough like majestic shots of Australia where they shot when it came to the ship. And I'm sorry, the main captain guy, I could not get over his black pants and bedazzled cod piece the whole yes. freaking time. It was like watching Labyrinth and Bowie's big, huge, gigantic cod piece <laughs> that he was having in there. Uh, I, Christy McNichol was really cute, but I could not get through this movie. It was just too corny. 
Sorry. It, I, that's part of why I love it so much because the, it was like the eight year old me or the 11 year old me was just like, this is amazing. And then as I grew up, I was like, Oh gosh, this is, I mean, it's still amazing. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't finish it, yeah, uh, but I did finish, yeah. I did finish this one. I got night crossing. I uh, found it actually still wrapped, which was cool. Watch this. I thought I had seen it when I was younger and maybe I did, but it was nice to kind of catch up on this true uh a true story about uh people living in east germany during the cold war and escaping over the fence in an actual uh hot air balloon and so and, th and they made that movie like i think three years after the original original event actually happened so that was pretty cool so cool. but uh, so that was fun and neat but guys like i said 1982 the greatest geek year ever uh some people are claiming here and it's pretty good year because uh it was you know the computer moved in. Computer was everywhere. Uh, people were getting their home computers, video games. It was definitely a big, big deal. So, but uh, before we continue, guys, let's go ahead and uh, let's have a little fun going back in time here. This is 82, 40th anniversary movies and pop culture, part five. Let's take a step back into 82, fuel up that DeLorean and the flux capacitor, slingshot around the sun aboard a captured Klingon bird of prey. Or, as Kyle is rocking, you could take a step into that blue police box. Or phone booth, the Circle K, or step into that quantum leap accelerator. My favorite, Kyle. Take a dip in that hot tub time machine. As we travel we back. Got, we got, Kyle? We got to get that in for service. It's looking pretty ugly in that water. I think the dirty, <laughs> the, the, the dirty you leave it, the better the hot tub is. The better hot tub is. And we're going to travel back. To 1982, pop culture, <laughs> sports, politics, television, and of course, our movies. That's right. Two gallons of chlorine for Kevin Reitzel. Two gallons. <laughs> Leave it dirty. Leave the pool dirty. <laughs> uh, first, we're going to get into some uh, average cost here. Of course, we always like to remind people. Where's your gas at right now, guys? Well, back in 82, cost of gas was only 91 cents. Your Sony 19-inch uh, color TV was about $500. Um, GMC 1500 pickup was about $5,400. That Commodore Vic was $300. A bag of cheap cheese puffs was 89 cents. But we had some technology, guys. But before we get to technology, I've got some news for you. This is world news here, USA News. And I remember this well, guys. 1982 Chicago Tylenol murders occurred when people in the Chicago area died after ingesting capsules laced with potassium cyanide. This is when everything started getting wrapped. You remember this, Kyle? I remember this, and I also remember this was when Tylenol started developing a different type of capsule to take that couldn't be laced. We got more of those gel kind of cap. We started seeing the gel caps come out and things like this. But I remember this. People were frightened out of their minds when this came down. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, Lacey, you remember this at all? I do. Oh, yeah. Um, we, you know, my family, my mom threw out every pill in the house. Just, it was one of the, I mean, this was in Chicago. <laughs> we were in Atlanta and they were like, it was just like, okay, we don't know if it's in another place. You know, we don't know if it's widespread. So, you know, everything went out. 
Yeah. Yes, Talk about a like a worldwide scare, pretty much. It was a big mm-hmm. deal. Well, in happier news, October, Orlando, Florida, Walt Disney World opened the second largest theme park, Epcot Center, to the public for the first time. And October 19th, John DeLorean is arrested for selling cocaine to undercover FBI agents. He later found out that found not guilty due to entrapment. <laughs> October 30th, the DeLorean Motor Company ceases production. Hmm. And October 20th, World Series, the St. Louis Cardinals defeat the Milwaukee Brewers four games to three to win their ninth series title. In November, we had the Vietnam Veterans Memorial is de- dedicated in Washington, D.C. after a march to its site by thousands of Vietnam War veterans. And, Kyle, University of California, November 20th, 1982, Berkeley executes the play in a college the football game The band is on the field. The band is on the field. Completing a wacky 57-yard kickoff return that includes five laterals, Kevin Moen runs through Stanford band members who had prematurely come onto the field. His touchdown stands, and California wins 25-20. to 20. There's some trombone player that still hasn't been heard from since that happened. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, in December, at University of Utah, a 61-year-old retired dentist Art becomes the first person to receive a permanent artificial heart. He lives for 112 days with the device. And the first U.S. execution in December by lethal injection is carried out, of course, in Texas. And Seattle is officially dubbed the Emerald City after a contest is held to choose a new city slogan. And ongoing, guess what? The Cold War is still going on. Lots of spy stuff. Lots of spy stuff. So. But as I mentioned, we have some technology to talk about here, guys. This gets fun and interesting. And if you're watching the video, check this out. <clears throat> Up there on the top left is the Sun One workstation. Xerox Park owned the Stanford Engineering Department, entire Alto Ethernet network with laser printer graduate student Andy Beckenstolsheim. <laughs> Redesigned it to a prototype, and then he attached Stanford's computer network. Um, yeah. And then we had, of course, Fred the Robot up there in the top middle. And we had the Sony CDP 101 CD player. Boy, look how thick that thing looks. That's down the bottom middle it's there. ginormous. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's so cool. I love it. It's bigger and than then we a have DVD the Sony. Player. What's that? It's bigger than a DVD player. Yeah, Kyle. <laughs> well, no, I was going to, then what you had coming up next, because I my dad actually had one of these and I would steal it. All the, time. the Sony Watchmen, the, one of the first portable TVs, Kyle. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the only problem with that was those things had a horrid time getting reception. <laughs> <laughs> that I assume was a black and white TV, right? Or was it color? No, it was actually color. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. That's that yellow device you see on the left side there, left corner. Then we have the Tommy Tudor uh, right there in the middle of the screen. And then we have the Tommy Tronic 3d viewer. Kyle, is this kind of like a fancier, uh, like, you know, the, those viewers with the little, uh, round, you know, negatives that you would put in. Oh, the little, no, red this, ones. yeah, no, th- these were actually very cool. I actually had one of these, uh, a couple years later when they did a few more individual games, but you would hold them up like you're holding binoculars and that you, if you notice on the, in the picture, there's kind of that, like, clear white section there the light would come through there and you play the game and the game it was kind of like 
early on virtual boy or something like that for, for some people you could only play it for so long though because your head would start to hurt pretty bad after say about 20 minutes it, it had a pretty cool design it's a bit it's a binoculars. It looks kind of like a spaceship. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and then that last but not least, a lot of synth bands loved the uh, uh, poly synth. Looks like like it. A Voyager eight make marks the next step in polysynic polyphonic synthesizers. And there you go, synthesizers. That's over in the bottom right there. So, yeah. All right. Next, we got some toys, guys. Check these out. We've got uh, <laughs> Rolly. Poly Poo for five eighty eight. All right, there you go, Winnie the Pooh. Then we've got Sesame Street Puppet Theater, and I remember this: the Teach and Learn computer for about forty eight ninety nine has two mode controls. You put in these weird little discs with a booklet, and then you hit stuff on it. And I think it made yeah. So the basic unit includes two sided program discs with. Two-sided corresponding overlays to help with the reading, vocabulary, math, and quizzes. This one I remember, and I would love to get my hands. It's right there in the middle of the picture. The orb puzzle for six bucks. Move beads around to... What's that, Kyle? I was just going to say, I swear I've seen that in at least five different movies in the 80s used as a, in a science fiction as a prop. <laughs> You're right. It feels like it's like a weapon, like a futuristic hand grenade or something like that. Like you've seen that, definitely. Yeah. And once we stopped playing out, you know, after we had mastered using it, we used to play that in the backyard and throw it like a, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. you know in, around about 1984, that's what it became was the sci-fi hand grenade. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Move beads around to form four rings. It looks simple, but it'll keep you going in circles. And of course the Tommy Tronic Tron game by Tommy uh, price is 50 bucks combines three of the most unique arcade games in the movie the light cycle ring game ring game mcp game for one player ages seven up kyle i don't know if i ended up playing this but i'm gonna guess the graphics were not that great uh, i'm thinking no but i'm thinking probably i've put at least 150 dollars into tron arc the atrona arcade game uh, itself yeah. i think i <laughs> i think i did more than that yeah yeah i probably have to but <laughs> All right, guys, let's get into, I think we've got some music coming up here. Let's check this out. All right, guys, Pop Goes Wild. This is our music segment for 1982. Got some news first. September 3rd through 5th, the first U, the first US Festival is held over Labor Day weekend near Devore, California. The Police, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Fleetwood Mac, Grateful Dead, Talking Heads, and the B-52s are among the many performers. The following year, a lot more metal artists per, uh, showed up for that. I know that for sure. But September 7th, 1982, the musical Cats begins its 18-year run on Broadway. And uh, in October, the first compact disc appears in music stores in Japan. And October 6th, Madonna's debut single, Everybody, is released on Sire Records. November of 82, we have the breakup of the band Blondie is announced publicly. Michael Jackson releases his sixth studio album, Thriller, which would go on to be the greatest selling album of all time. 70 million units sold worldwide, Kyle. It was just a tiny bit successful. <laughs> just a little yeah. bit a little bit there was some there was some kind of what music video that went with that particular album too yes john landis directed yes yes thriller but december december 3rd the most successful group of the 70s abba releases their final original single under attack 
A split is never officially announced. There you go. All right. All right, guys. Here's a fun part here. So we get into the Billboard Top 100, and I'm going to read off the top 40 for you real quick. Starting 40 through 21. Heat of the moment, Asia, 65 Love Appair, Paul Davis, I've never, I've never been to me, Charlene. Even the Knights are better. Air Supply, Leather and Lace, Stevie Nicks and Don Henley. Leader of the band, Don Fogelberg. Open Arms, Journey, Let's Groove, Earth, Wind and Fire, Eye in the Sky, The Alan Parsons Project, Hold Me, Fleetwood Mac, Who Can It Be Now, Men at Work, Only the Lonely, The Motels, Sweet Dreams, Air Supply, Turn Your Love Around, George Benson, The Other Woman, Ray Parker Jr., We Got the Beat, Go-Go's, Let, Let It Whip by The Daz Band, Shake It Up by The Cars, Always On My Mind by Willie Nelson, and at number 21, The Sweetest Thing I've Ever Known, Juice Newton, Lacey, name a couple you like in this patch. Uh, for me, this group is going to be Open Arms from Journey and Shake It Up by the Cars. Mm. Mm -hmm. Good choices. Kyle? Well, if I'm going to run it down, in the heat of the moment, in your open arms, where you hold me, full of sweet dreams, you're, oh, in that dream, we've got the beat, and it's always on. You stumbled. Mind. You're done. You stumbled. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, which two are your favorite? Give me two. Out of these two, um... I you know I got a partial partial love for Eye in the Sky with the Alan Parsons project. That, that one's always kind of stood out right. to me. And come on, honestly, um, we got we got the beat, the Go Go's. Yeah, you know that was everywhere. Uh, Hold Me by Fleetwood Mac was the first song I remember ever hearing by Fleetwood Mac that I would go like, wait, who's that? And plus, that was always on the video, like all the time. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm going to go with um, Lacey here. Uh, Shake It Out by the Cars is just so good. So good. All right. We got the top 20 here, guys. This is where it gets really interesting. At number 20, going down. Don't Talk to Strangers, Rick Springfield. Waiting for a girl like you, foreigner. You should hear how she talks about you. Melissa Manchester. Key Largo by Bertie Higgins. 8675309. Jenny by Tommy Two-Tone. I Can't Go For That. No Can Do by Hollow Notes, Rosanna by Toto, Harden My Heart by Quarter Flash, Chariots of Fire by Vangelis, Tainted Love by Soft Cell, at number 10, Hard to Say I'm Sorry by Chicago, number 9, Abracadabra, Steve Miller Band, 8, Hurts So Good, John Cougar, John Cougar's next at 7 with Jack and Diane, followed by number 6, don't You Want Me by The Human League. Five, Centerfold, The Jay Giles Band. Four, Ebony and Ivory, Paul McCartney and Stevie Wonder. And three, I Love Rock and Roll by Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Two, Eye of the Tiger, Survivor. And at number one, Bless Her Heart, Rest in Peace, Olivia Newton-John with Physical. Lacey, give me a couple of your favorites here in the top 20 of 1982. Um, for me, it's going to be Eye of the Tiger and I love rock and roll. However, I have to say my first name's Jennifer and I didn't start going by my middle name until college because everyone else was named Jennifer as well. So eight six seven five three zero nine has like a special place in hell for me <laughs> because it was Jenny and I like, I was not a Jenny. I was a Jen or a Jennifer, but every kid in my class was like, would like sing it at me. Right. Yeah, it was super yeah. fun. <laughs> super. Super. Kyle, what's, give me a couple that are your favorites out of this top uh, 20 here, 1982. I, 
I don't talk to strangers when I'm waiting for a girl like you, Rosanna, but I got the eye of the tiger and we're going to get physical. <laughs> okay. That was better. That was better. Uh, my favorites on here. I, I just listened to Abracadabra again lately and I love that song. <laughs> get into that one. And, uh, uh, don't you want me by the human league? I just love dun, 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 and the two and the guy and the girl going back and forth with each other. I just that that's one of my favorite songs on here. So a lot of good Kevin, stuff. I, I know you blast the chariots of fire every chance you get in the car. Blame. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's go ahead and get into what would you watch in 82? All right, guys, this is going to be fun. We've been talking about the top 30 uh, TV shows in 1982. I'm just going to quickly go down from the bottom here. Uh, we had Dukes of Hazard, Real People, Little House, and the Pr Little House, a New Beginning, Happy Days, CBS, Tuesday Night Movie, ABC, Sunday Night Movie, and number 25 was Laverne and Shirley, followed by ABC, Monday Night Movie, Archie Bunker's Place, That's Incredible, Hill Street Blues, Knott's Landing, Trapper John MD, Gloria, Heart to Heart, One Day at a Time, Nine to Five, The Fall Guy, New Heart, The Jefferson. Monday Night Football at number 11 and the top 10 are the A-Team followed by the Love Boat at 9 Falcon Crest at 8, Simon and Simon at 7, Three's Company at 6, Dynasty at 5 Magnum P.I. at 4 MASH at number 3 Dallas at number 2 and 60 Minutes at number 1. Lacey what are your favorites in the top 10? You know what? For me, it was all about the non-detectives doing, like, detecting things. So it was the Fall Guy. It was the A-Team. It was uh, Simon and Simon and Magnum. But then Three's Company was kind of the, the my favorite. I mean, John Ritter <laughs> is was just one of my favorites. I loved him so much. I'm going to agree with you there. I love Three's Company. It's one of my all-time favorites. Come and knock on our door. <laughs> and it was just uh, even when you were switching out, you know, Chrissy with Terry or uh, the other cu cousin that would come in, the blonde. Uh, mm. Terry was my favorite though, just because I, I thought she was so funny. But you know, you had Mr. Furley, and before you had the Ropers, and you had um, oh, who's uh, Jack's friend? Um, Larry. Larry, yes, yeah. Larry. Larry. Uh, Kyle, what are your favorites? Top ten here. I, I, for years, I've been trying to find them and hire them but I can't find the A team. I keep finding the C team, but of course you got to love the A team. Um, you know, and we're always making another run every week on the love boat. I mean, yeah. What a great way for many of these stars to get together. And of course, you know, uh, Nor Norman Lau would have my head if I didn't mention Magnum PI. Yeah. Yeah. And these, this is where T this is where TV themes really found their groove literally. Mm -hmm. And they're so iconic. I don't ever remember staying up to watch Stevens. Uh, I know early times uh, to me, news boring <laughs> during this time. I didn't <laughs> care about the news. Not at all. Did not watch it. So, yeah. All right. What do we have next, Kevin, guys? Oh, Kevin, yes. The, the, yes. I was just going to say, the truth about 60 Minutes is the only reason why we knew about it as as guys, as kids, is because we hear it from John Madden and Pat Summerall following this NFL football game, 60 minutes on your local stations. <laughs> Very true. Very true. Yeah, yeah. So we did have, I did want to mention, we had some made-for-TV miniseries, because miniseries was a thing in the late 70s and 80s, and it was, it was big business. It, yeah, you know, I mean, 
the movie Scrooge kind of makes fun of that, which I thought was kind of funny. So we had Little Gloria, Happy at Last on NBC in October. We also had the Blue and the Gray miniseries, uh, the Civil War series that came out November 14th. And I remember my parents watched that and I thought it was so boring. So boring. Uh, the Executioner's Song, never did see that. Those were some uh, going there. But we did have some movie, sorry, some television debuting during this time, because of course September is a big uh, new series, um, or you know, uh, um, uh, you know, new episodes coming out of your favorite shows. We had the Gary Coleman Show debut, The Incredible Hulk, Gilligan's Planet, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Child's Play, Family Ties, Tales of the Gold Monkey, Bring Him Back Alive, The Little Rascals, Martin Mindy, Laverne and Shirley, Fawn's Hour, Pac Man, The Scooby and Scrappy Doo Puppy Hour. Silver Spoons, Knight Rider, At the Movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert hit syndication, Matt Houston, Gloria, Square Pegs, Cheers, Remington Steel, Voyagers, CBS Morning News, Nature hits PBS, Takes Two, ABC, St. Elsewhere, The Quest, New Heart, The New Odd Couple, and Kyle Starcade. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Kyle. What were some of your favorites uh, that debuted this year? There, there, there is a ton in the, in this section. Of course, the Incredible Hulk, Timeless Bill Bixby. B. I always hear that music in my head when you bring it up. Family Ties, introducing the bringing the world Michael J. Fox. Um, you got you got to look at Silver Spoons, kind of a cult following show, bringing us Mario Van Peebles, Kevin. You got Knight Rider, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Like I remember Mario Van Peebles in Silver Spoons, Kyle. Come on. <laughs> that's where he got his start but um wait, are, you, wait, are you sure you're not getting him mixed up with alfonso yeah yeah you're that's sunny spoons i came out i'm like thinking rick 90s, schroeder dude. i'm thinking rick schroeder with silver spoons yes yes <laughs> and sadly what he's remembered for now is bailing kyle rittenhouse out of prison <laughs> uh silver spoons aaron gray and yes rick schroeder um, at the movies is a huge game changer in, in movie history. Square Pigs yep. brought us Sarah Jessica Parker. Um, Voyagers is always going to be a huge cult classic for me. Remington Steel bringing us Pierce Brosnan. Um, St. Elsewhere, obviously, for everything it did in Starcade to this day. I wish they'd bring, bring, find a way to bring back Starcade. <laughs> yeah. Lacey, some of your favorites here at day uh, For me, it's out of this list, it's, it's Voyagers, hands down, and it would following closely with Knight Rider. Um, big thing. Well, Family Ties was awesome, but Knight Rider and Voyagers we would watch as a family. Um, and it was always, you know, what's Michael going to get in trouble this time? And, you know, how are Phineas, you know, how are they going to get out of the, the, you know, whatever they stumbled into, you know, help somebody help Jonas Salk find penicillin. (laughs) (laughs) The Omni is still one of the coolest time travel devices of all time. Yes. Uh, yeah, I want to give a shout. I didn't start watching Cheers when it came out. I did not get into that. I was into Knight Rider like you guys. Love that. Family Ties. We watched that as a family. Incredible Hulk, of course. Uh, I watched the Pac-Man animated series. I jumped on that. Uh, I saw a little bit of Voyagers, a little bit of Starcade. 
but I got to give a shout out uh, to one of my favorites and it. I wish it lasted longer. My mom loved it. it was square pegs with Sarah Jessica Parker. It was just uh, such a stamp in time of music and culture and uh, a little bit of punk rock too. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. Uh, w- yes. Lacey. Um, one more thing, just an interesting note. The kid from Voyagers is Mino Pellucci. He is Soleil Moon Fry's brother. And after this, he actually went on to become a history teacher. Oh, funny. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also had some TV shows ending. We had Tom and Jerry uh, comedy show that ended. Uh, Goldie Golden Action Jack. The Mash Game ended, but did return in 1990. The Flintstone comedy show Code Red, Lou Grant and Laverne and Shirley ended. Uh, also Sunrise uh, Semester, Texas TV series, and The Doctors, which had been on since 1963. Wow. But now we have some celebrity uh, births here. These celebrities all turned 40 this year, and we know a lot of these guys. In September, we had Billy Piper, Anna Camp, Lacey Chabert, Karen Culkin. October, we had Jessica Ray, Heather Matarazzo. Matarazzo, thank you. I keep messing up her last name. Anne Hathaway, they both worked together in The Princess Diaries. There you go. Damon Wayans, Lucas Black, Gemma Chan, Eliza Cuthbert. December, we had Riz Ahmed, Jack Houston, Jesse Johnson, Nicki Minaj, Carly, Charlie Cox, Allison Brie, and Kristen Kruk. Guys, do you feel old? Kyle? <laughs> I feel like I should not be making any comments because there's a, there might be a few crushes that were born in this year, this <laughs> section here. Um, maybe maybe my jersey's a giveaway. Yeah, the, these are all <laughs> all of these are closer to your age, Kyle. So I'm like the old guy out there. I'm like about 10, 10 years older than these people, twelve actually, and it just gets weird. <laughs> but I I'm still crushed on closer to you than I am to to. I think I'm in the middle of you guys, right? I think so. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on, Lacey, who are you crushing on here? Who are you crushing on? Um, you know, I loved Lucas Black. He, you know, he was a child actor for a while. He did some really great stuff and then, you know, went on to do some really odd choices. Um, loved him in the, what was it? The second or third. Uh, Tokyo Gosh Drift. And, yep, yep. Tokyo and, Drift, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, it, yeah, and then I, I, he, yeah, he was NCIS. Uh, what was New Orleans? New, New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. And I love Kristen Kruk. Yeah. I mean, she's amazing from Smallville to Beauty and the Beast. Uh, you know, is all the stuff that she's done. She's she's really not really a big not a big surprise. Um, Lacey Chabert. See a lot of her lately. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Props to Kristen Kruk for staying out of the cult. Yes, this is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, All right. that's a lot, man. Whew. All right, guys, uh, we did have a few celebrity deaths during this time. In October, Bess Truman, first lady of the United States, second lady of the United States from 1885. October 29th, Joyce Hall, founder of Hallmark Cards, guys. And James Broderick, actor, 1927. Now, we also had some film debuts, guys, in 82. Gary Oldman in Remembrance, Molly Ringwald in Tempest, James Russo in A Stranger's Watching, William Sadler in Hanky Panky, Meredith Salinger in Annie, Eric Stoltz in Fast Times at Richmond High, <clears throat> Mr. T, gonna get you sucker, Rocky Three, Forrest Whitaker in Tag the Assassination Game, and Daphne Zuniga in The Dorm That Dripped Blood. Kyle. Daphne, Daphne, Daphne Zuniga. 
highly underrated. Yes, I would agree, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, we're going to take a break from our Time Warp discussion and let you know what's happening with our other great podcast here on the Fend Podcast Network. We'll be back with 1982, 40 years later. Thank you for listening. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Here are the other great shows on the Fandom Podcast Network. Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show, our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. All right, guys, welcome back to Time Warp 1988. To 40th anniversary of all movies and pop culture. This is part five. We're discussing the movies and events in September through December, the fall and winter months. So uh want to let you guys know there's a lot of stuff that we can't get to. We just don't have the time for it. A lot of movies came out this year. So a lot of stuff did end up on the cutting room floor. We'll mention uh, several of those at the end. But let's go ahead and let's get right back into it, guys. Uh, the first film that we're going to talk about here in this big group here for 1982 is called Starstruck. Young woman wants to become the next big singer with the help of her friends and despite the wishes of her working class family, starring Joey Kennedy, Ross O'Donnell, and Margot Lee. Reportedly famed Australian rock bands In Excess and Men at Work wanted to participate in this picture but were turned down by the production. This was filmed in Australia. It's an Australian production in and around uh, Sydney. I just watched this. It's on YouTube for free if you want to check it out. Think kind of uh, Greece, but taking place in the 80s with uh, an Australian kind of feel to it and some Australian kind of pop punky type music, which are very catchy. The lead actress, Joey Kennedy, I did enjoy. I thought she was fun. Uh, Aaron said, my wife says, uh, this is one of those movies where you hear the songs on the radio, but you forget where it comes from. And it's kind of become a cult hit here. Has anyone heard of this film, Kyle? I've 
the name sounds familiar. And when you post, posted that you were watching it, it kind of rung a bell with me. But I've actually never seen this. But I've I've heard I I have heard tales of it. Jo Joey, the actress, she's very she's very charming in this. She's got a cute little voice too, and she's uh, to try to um, get attention to herself because there's this kind of uh, I guess this concert that's going on. And she wants to play it. She does this funny like tightrope across these buildings in this like huge alley. And she ends up falling and hanging from it. And while she's hanging and the emergency people are trying to get like a big net below her, she's being interviewed by a window by a bunch of uh, uh, people with live TV. And she's just hanging there being very charming, just saying what she's trying to do and get attention. Uh, I thought it was cute. I do recommend it for a, a fun kind of, it's an easy watch too. It's like an hour and a half. If you like music, Lacey, check it out. It's free on YouTube. So. Yeah. It reminded me of girls just want to have fun, but for music instead of dancing. There you go. So you have yeah. seen it. Yes. Well, yes. I vaguely remember, and I watched the trailer, and I was like, oh, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. Yes, definitely. All right. Next, we got Kyle. We've already discussed this here on the network. This is the final option, which is its USA title. But in the UK, Who Dares Wins? It is one of the first movies I ever remember seeing about special forces and dealing with terrorists and their operations and how they work. And we did a couch potato theater several months ago with our friend Dan Hadley of the Type 40 Doctor Who podcast. And we had a lot of fun uh, discussing and going back with it, especially now that they've re-released this on Blu-ray in high def. Is we did. Uh, Sorry. Um, we did. We uh, I will tell anybody go back and really and listen to that couch potato theater or find it on our YouTube channel because we went really in depth. Dan Hadley being over in the UK has a lot of great insight about this film as well. So fun couch potato theater. If you want to know more about the final option or who dares wins, check out that CPT. Lacey, you had a comment. Yeah. Is this the one that Christopher uh, Lee kind of like there was a veiled reference that it might've been somewhat based on some of his activities. Uh, no, no, it was, uh, it, it was kind of, I'm trying to remember the, the sources for it, but, uh, it goes back to, uh, um, the author of the James Bond films and how he yeah, was yeah. doing some special forces stuff in, um, world war two and how it kind of carried over. And this starred, uh, Judy, Co Judy Davis, Lewis Collins, and Richard R Widmark. And uh, it had a lot of really good action scenes in it. And Lewis Collins, uh, one of the discussions that we had uh, on that Couch Potato Theater discussing this, and I, I suggest you guys check it out, was why Lewis Collins was not a bigger star. He was up for James Bond. And uh, according, I got inside uh, uh, information regarding that uh, when uh, we were discussing uh, with one of our friends of the, of the network, John Mosby, Kyle, was that uh, he may have messed up his audition. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so I highly recommend checking out this great action film. And uh, Judy Davis plays the terrorist leader that Lewis Collins has to infiltrate. So really, really good stuff there. Next is Eating Raul, a black comedy. A relatively boring Los Angeles couple discovers a bizarre, if not murderous way to getting funding for opening a restaurant. I actually have a copy of it right here, guys. Um I watched this movie. I actually found it streaming for free online, uh, but I do have the DVD here. So <laughs> it's basically about a couple uh, played by um, uh, Paul Bartel and Mary 
uh, Warrenoff. Mary Warrenoff, by the way, was a muse of Andy Warhol back in the day. She's also more known from the cult film um, Death Race 2000. She's one of the racers in that. And she's very tall, very pretty. And they're trying to make ends meet living in the small apartment complex. And it's an apartment complex that's filled with swingers and swinger parties happening all the time. This is a black comedy and they try to get them involved. And there's a lot of almost kind of like rapey scenes with uh, the lead actress and a lot of the guys that are trying to swing with her. And a guy ends up dead and they end up robbing him and they end up kind of like taking advantage of the situation. And uh, other swingers ended up, getting lost and dying and Robert Beltran of Voyager is Raul. He gets in on the action with him. He's the, the master locksmith and there's kind of like a little love triangle. It's an hour and a half. It's actually very funny. Apparently it's a cult classic. Uh, I found it entertaining and uh, it was filmed in uh, Los Angeles area as well. Anyone seen this? I vaguely right. remember the, the poster <laughs> of it or whatever, but I, I don't think I saw it. No. Yeah, I had to check it out. It's streaming somewhere. Maybe it's YouTube. I can't remember. So if you're interested, I do recommend it. It's interesting. So yeah, Can you address the Nazi on the picture? Like there's a Nazi guy? Yes, there is a, a guy who is a swinger slash role player and uh, tries to get the girl to play a uh, um, a German prisoner. And so there's a role playing scene. That's why there's the Nazi on there. And there's a dominatrix oh, yeah. in there as well. Yeah, that's <laughs> That's a lot, man. That's yeah. Wow. Oh, okay. by the way, this movie can't be made today. Just so you know. My <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman was originally approached to play the sex shop salesman, but turned it down. Moreover, he recommended John Paragon for that particular role. And uh, yeah, so there, there's a lot of, you see a lot of people you kind of recognize uh, Ed Begley Jr. plays one of the, uh, the swingers and uh, doesn't live through the end of the film. <laughs> Next is a Western I highly recommend if you're a Western fan, and that is The Shadow Riders with Tom Selleck and Sam Elliott and Catherine Ross. Love this film, actually. Of course, I love, Kyle, I love it when you get um, Tom Selleck doing any type of Western, Quigley Down Under, a bunch of other ones. And uh, what's interesting here is Sam Elliott and Tom Selleck and Jeff Osterhaus wanted to do another Western together after they did the Sackets in 79. They contacted the film's writer, Louis L'Amour, and asked him to write a story idea for him. And this film was the result. If you don't know who Louis L'Amour is, he is a uh, huge, successful Western writer of Western stories. And my dad was addicted to his books. I saw Louis L'Amour books all over the place. And this is a really cool Western with two great guys with awesome mustaches. Anyone seen the uh, Shadow Riders? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, back in the day, um, th it was it was kind of one of those, you'd kind of catch it on TBS or whatever, and you just, no matter where it was in the movie, you'd keep watching. You know, you couldn't go past it. A little trivia. This is Dominique Dunn's final film. Oh wow! Yeah, I was gonna say this. This film is affected by the poltergeist curse. Yes, yes. All right, guys. This is a movie I saw a trailer for. I have not seen this film. This is my favorite year, and uh, this stars Peter O'Toole, Mark Lynn Baker. Before his uh, Perfect Stranger days, I'm assuming here with his buddy Balky, Jessica Harper, and uh, director Richard Benjamin offered Peter. 
O'Toole the role of Alan Swan the day that O'Toole's nominated for an Academy Award for the Stuntman in 1980 when executive producer Mel Brooks found out about the timing of the offer. He yelled at Benjamin, well, that was brilliant. Do you have any idea how much money that's going to cost us? <laughs> now, Lacey, you've seen this film. Give me yeah. the lowdown on my favorite year. Um, it is... Um, it's a class war com black com uh, comedy slash black comedy. Um, there's nothing, you can't say anything else about it without spoiling stuff. Like there's just very little you can say other than it's Peter O'Toole at his best. Marklin Baker is a riot and um, it's definitely um, the wealthy get away with a lot of things and those who are not do not kind of a, it's gotcha. kind of a, a send up of, of class war warfare. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. It, uh, I saw a trailer or I saw the trailer for it and I saw a lot of people saying this was like Peter tools, best film, uh, and premier magazine. Best, but that's my, that's me. Okay. Uh, premier magazine voted this movie as one of the 50 greatest comedies of all time in 2006. The film was produced by Mel Brooks production company. The main character was based on him and he had some input on the script. So there you go. Now, speaking of Diane Lane, guys, the ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Stains. Corin Burns retreats far into plans for her band, the fabulous Stains, after her mother's death. So far that she gets them, she and two cousins on a tour with a washed out glam rock group and, raising, and a rising British punk band, radically changes her appearance, attracts a cult following, a nation, uh, national media attention with what with luck like this, what could go wrong? And we have Peter Donat, Diane Lane, Marin Cantor, a very young Laura Dern, and a very young Ray Weinstone, who plays uh, one of the band members. And this is basically one of those road trip movies, guys. I really enjoyed this film. I got the DVD. Diane Lane was just adorable in this. The music the band makes isn't very good, but it's more about their image and the message that they're getting. And they end up like overshadowing the rest of the bands and the other bands start to become resentful on road. And Ray Weinstone uh, is very good in this. I, he, he looks so young in this. Uh, anyone seen this? I saw this a very long time ago. Uh, it was on, I think an late night HBO or something like that. But, and obviously like you said, Kevin Diane Lane, adorable in this film. But this film has a very, very unique place in Hollywood history. And it has to do with Laura Dern. Go on. Laura Dern, who my mother is Diane Ladd, she refused to let Laura Dern go do this film because of she, she thought she was too young to be traveling with this environment. Laura Dern got herself emancipated so she could actually do this movie. And yeah. it, I remember it was a very big sticking point in Hollywood for a while because it kind of started a trend of young actors trying to get themselves emancipated from their parents so they could do different things. And it was an interesting trend that Laura Dern really kicked off with the, with, with this particular move she made for here. So for you music nerds too, uh, one of the band members is Paul Cook of the Sex Pistols, uh, and he does some acting in this as well. So uh, there is some uh, influence there. It's very cool. And uh, I'm a, I'm a fan of, uh, of, of Paul cook as well. So, uh, that was really cool to see that. So, uh, next film kind of legendary guys. First blood. 
a veteran Green Beret is forced by a cruel sheriff and his deputies to flee into the mountains and wage an escalating one-man war against his pursuers. Stars Sylvester Stallone, Brian Denny, and Richard Crenna, guys. This movie changed everything when it came to action films and also uh, cemented Stallone. And now there's one, two, three, four, five Rambo films. I'm holding up the collection right now. The last one being Rambo Last Blood. Lacey, your thoughts on First Blood? Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> just it never was really my my thing it was a lot of you know blood and guts and kind of like at the war movie and that kind of thing so that really wasn't my my cup of tea so okay all right kyle you know i'm gonna disagree with you a little bit kevin about how this movie being the game changer because i really think it was rambo 2 that was the game changer this was still a dramatic film and honestly i'm gonna say it, i think it's one of stallone's best dramatic performances the first, his first role as John Rambo, um, Brian what, Dennehy, not, not Oscar. Uh, I should I no, Oscar. not Oscar. Yeah, go. <laughs> he should have gotten nominated for an Oscar, maybe, but no. Um, Brian Dennehy is absolutely phenomenal in this film as well, and just the cinematography, how it's filmed, the action sequences. This isn't a lot of blood and guts like later Rambo's would turn into. This was, this was kind of this. Kevin almost feels like to me like it's more of an end of an era of action movies where the second Rambo, when Rambo 2 came out, it birthed the new era of action movies. But I love this film. And I think one, two, not only that, it's a great story reflecting on what happened to our veterans who came back from Vietnam. Good point. Yeah. And I love Richard Crenna as his uh, as his um, commander. Uh, and I thought they really worked well together, but yeah, it's, it's really good acting by Stallone in this. And uh, you really feel for him and what he's been through and, and uh, the prejudice that he, uh, that a lot of um, Vietnam vets got when they came back to the world, so to speak. So um, big fan of uh, Sylvester Stallone and uh, I love the Rambo movies. Uh, yeah. Kyle. In fact, I would say Lacey, this might be one you want to give, a, a, a shot at because it doesn't have that blood of guts. It's actually got a pretty good, true story, good, good story to it. And you, you might be surprised by this first one. Obviously I think the other ones go in a totally different direction, but this you one know, is I a think great that dramatic that film too. Yeah, that might make sense because I was nine when this came out. So by the time I was old enough to see any of these, there had been what, like four more or three more. And right. they were kind of touted as like, you know, the body count, you know, you, you just have that little clicker to see how many, you know, you know numbers you can rack up. So maybe I just never saw the first one because uh, of that. A little trivia here. The large piece of cotton canvas that Rambo finds in the woods and cuts into a makeshift coat was in fact not a movie prop, but a real piece of cotton canvas found by the film crew during the movie's production. Since there was only one piece, Sylvester Stallone joked about how the canvas became a treasured prop on the set. After filming ended, Stallone kept the rotten canvas and still has it in his possession to this very day. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. Next film, Lacey, I'm gonna need you a little help on this one. Jinxed by Bet with Bet Miller. Bet Miller is on a roll through Reno, Vegas, and Tahoe with Rip Torn as her semi-professional gambler husband and Ken Wall as a seductive blackjack dealer, directed by Don Siegel. Of course, starring as we mentioned, Bet Miller, Ken Wall, and Rip Torn. I actually have a copy of it here. I didn't watch it yet. I watched a trailer, and when I saw the trailer, I was like 
Uh, I don't know. Lacey, your thoughts on Jinked? Um, it, it, it has some fun little parts to it. It, it kind of feels like, um, I mean, it's, it couldn't be made today just because of the rampant sexism and misogyny. And it's like horrible. Like everywhere, like there's, there's like date rapey sort of situations and like that kind of stuff. But basically she, and she, she, you know, kind of ropes this guy into helping her kill her husband. Yeah. And uh, in the meantime, the day that they're supposed to do this, um, he gets some bad news ish and, um, and kills himself. And so they won't get the insurance money because he <laughs> killed himself. So they have to like continue with their plan of how they were originally going to get rid of the body in order to still get the, it's so it's kind of that hijinksy kind of eighties right. situation. And, and then Bette Midler gets in her musical performances too. She's got to have um, at least two or three. Couple, right? Yeah. But they're both, um, they're both like Western, like country Western themed kind of, um, gotcha. like off, off the strip in, in the sense of like off, off Broadway versus the, off, off the strip, you know, that the, kind of thing. The only thing I kind of find appealing is I love movies that take place in old, um, Las Vegas, you know? Yeah. And, and that, that's a thing that would make me interested in watching it and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, uh, apparently though, Bette Miller and co-star Ken Wall made no secrets of their open hatred of one another battling constantly throughout filming Wall described to the press of how much he disliked kissing, uh, uh, Bette. and Don Siegel the director had many clash clashes, arguments and fights with Bette Miller, on this movie that after it was finished, he was quoted as saying, quote, I'd let my wife, children and animals starve before I subject myself to something like that. again." <laughs> okay, then. All right. You, next. You can really tell in the script that she had some input in who got the most lines and that kind of thing. Like, so you okay. could very much tell. All right, guys, the next film I tried to watch, it was a tough watch. And that's the animated film, The Plague Doll, The Plague Dogs, a special kind of movie magic from the creators of Watership Down from the novel by Richard Adams. Two dogs escape from a laboratory and are hunted as possible carriers of a bubonic plague directed by Martin Rosen. Stars, voice stars, John Hurt, Christopher Benjamin, James Bolin. Uh, And this was that rotoscope type of uh, um, animation as well. And only 8,000 copies were released as first-run VHS. Jeremy Irons originally read for the part of Rolf. And a young Brad Bird, director of Iron Giant and the Incredibles, was an animator on this film, but was fired during production. Uh, And one last thing, too. Including The Last Unicorn in 82, The Secret of Nim 82, and Watership Down 78, this film is amongst the darkest and most violent animated film of the late 20th, 20th century Late, the late 20th century of all time. These films were rated PG and G in the case of Nim and The Last Unicorn. All four of these are released before the existence of the PG-13 rating. Unlike uh, those, these, this is the only one of these four to have to change of rating since its PG rating was changed to PG-13 rating in 1985. Guys, I tried watching this and being an animal lover, I couldn't finish it. Uh, there was like blood of a guy getting run over and these dogs getting chased. And you could just, you just watching it as an animal lover, you know, bad stuff's going to happen to one of these animals. And I was reading some of the trivia 
and hearing about how could you do that to that dog and all that kind of stuff. And I had to stop, couldn't finish watching it. But I thought it was noting it that when I was doing the research for this, I'd never heard of this film. And I think this is one of those films that have just gone to die in the ether because of the topic of it and how dark that it was. Have you guys heard of it, this film? Yes. Um, it was a lot. Um, I think that there's definitely a reason that there is a, a screenwriting book that is called Don't Shoot the Dog. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's, yep. this, I can't, the, the full, all four of those movies you mentioned, Nim and Unicorn and Watershed, like, I don't like any of them. I don't, they're all sad. They're all terrifying and yeah. awful. And why would anyone want to watch something horrible and sad like that? I don't understand it, but. Yeah, they, they took dark these these shows took dark turns, and I don't know what they were thinking when they decided to do this film. But uh, it's a hard pass for me. But if you are curious, it is streaming free, either on YouTube or Plex or something. I can't remember. So if you do want to watch it, it is out there. Kyle, when you you brought this up, I had never heard of this. I'll be I'll be honest. Um, I, when I saw it was from the makers of Watership Down, that oh, that was an instant up the brakes right. Right there, yeah. and then I watched the trailer for this, and I could barely get through the trailer. Yeah, the opening trailer, five first thirty seconds of that trailer is enough to make me go, "I want no part of this." And I'm like, I'm watching this like this is not going to even be a happy movie and have a happy ending. And I, I was yeah. reading in the notes you have here that they actually the the author actually had changed the script, but the the director was presented the original manuscript. So that because the ending in the book is much different than what movie is it was re-released on a dvd i think in australia so there's copies hard copies out there but uh, i did not want to hunt that down i found it free online next film guys we have got the man from snowy river in 1880s australia after young jim craig father dies he takes a job at harrison cattle ranch where he is forced to become a man directed by george miller uh stars kurt douglas tom burlington and terrence donovan Never seen this film, guys. Um, when I was growing up, it just did the, the topic and the subject just did not interest me whatsoever. The fact that the is an Australian film, I have a little more interest in it, but still can't quite jump out there to see it. Lacey, you have seen this. Tell me about The Man from Snowy River. Um, it is very much an Australian soap opera on a cattle ranch situation. Um that did not stop me from loving this movie. I think it was, I think it might've been G or PG way back when. So I, I want to say I probably saw it, you know, about the time it came out, maybe that first year, next year, I didn't, I didn't, you know, wait until my teens or anything. And I just loved it. There were so many horses and the, it was about like breaking horses and keeping, you know, kind of like it was, it was just, I loved it because I loved horses and I loved the whole, you know, uh, the the forbidden romance because he's a, a a hand at the the ranch and there's the daughter and Kurt Kurt Douglas is the is the grumpy dad and all that kind of stuff so it was it was a it was good I loved it. Uh, the Man from Snowy River is a poem that was written by A. B. Banjo Patterson and published by the Buellton Company on Saturday, April 26, 1890. Patterson himself, along with the words of the poem, are immortalized on the Australian ten dollar note. I'm gonna oh, take that's cool. I got to take note of that later. <laughs> Burt Lancaster and Robert Mitchum were also considered for the dual role played by Kurt Douglas. All right, guys, there's a film that I think I've seen portions of it, but I've never seen it all the way through. Kyle, I've never seen Creepshow all the way through. 
an anthology which tells five different tales inspired by EC horror comic books of the 1950s. Director George A. Romero stars Hal Holbrook, Leslie Nielsen, Adrian Barbeau. Kyle, am I a bad fan? I, I'm going to say no, because here's the thing with Creepshow. Is it gets aired, comes out every Halloween and everything, everything like that. But it's one of those anthologies set of movies, and there's always two or and you have one of those, there's always two or three that stand out, and you tend to forget about the rest. And maybe over time, you've probably seen all of the episodes within the anthology of the film, but you probably never watched it all at once. I don't think that makes you a bad fan, but there are some classic some of these creep shows in here are absolutely classic as far as um, what the storylines were for them. Um, one that comes to mind for me is there was the guy who finds the meteor that kind of turns him into a plant life. And it was just such a weird story and fun. But yeah, I honestly think I prefer creep the stories that they told in creep show two more than I did in creep show one. One, I think they took a few more chances in creep show two, but um, creep show is one of those things where it's not, overly scary it's not like oh my gosh it's going to give me give you nightmares all the time it's it's kind of fun and it's a tribute to a certain kind of or type movie that they that romero was famous for and what the gotcha. classic creep show comic was about uh um lacy did you ever see creep show i did you know I, i'm not a huge horror fan i'm just not i don't like it blood guts gross whatever but creep show and Tales from the Crypt. Those were the two that were kind of, they were short, they were little tiny anthology things. And I feel like I was able to watch them because they were like bite-sized pieces instead of like two and a half hour or two hours of like just terrified. Um, and I really did like all of the, you know, even like, you know, later on, you know, Crypt, uh, uh, Tales from the Crypt and Demon gotcha. Knight, all those. Yeah, I dig, I dig them. Well, in classic Leslie Nielsen, um, <laughs> He, while he was all business in his scenes, Leslie Nielsen had a fart machine in his pocket during shooting. He would let it go off during rehearsals and just before director George A. Romero would call action, causing Ted Danson and the crew to crack up with laughter. And Stephen King had an allergic reaction to the makeup he had to wear for Jordy Verrill's transformation. He was subjected to shots and medications so the work would be bearable. And during a yeah. break in filming, Stephen King took his son to McDonald's and as a joke, Joe was made up with bruises, cuts, and scabs. A girl at the drive-thru window called the police when she saw them. <laughs> so, so wait, I, I've got to ask, Lacey, which was your favorite of these five um, originals? You know, they all kind of run together. I, I don't know if I could tell you which one. The one that I remember the most is the the the, the black guy that is he's in the car and he like he goes up to the um, he's trying to find his heart. Oh, and then the one in the lake with the, with the that was creep show. That was creep show too. Is that the second one? Okay. Um, the, the, the one, the one I remember most from this one was the Stephen King with the plant life thing where he played this. The, the, the yeah. Down part. Okay. But also there was the there was the one about a creature that resides in a crate under the steps of a college. Yes, I do remember. And yeah, yeah. I'm gonna yeah, have to. Was, I'm gonna have to check this out. This might have to be on my uh, go back and watch thing because I like the anthology stuff as you were mentioning, Lacey, because it yeah. kind of breaks breaks it up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And if if one's not doing it for you, but this, you know, like I love like uh, especially the comedy ones, you know, like um, mm. uh, Amazon Women on the Moon or Kentucky Fried Chicken, those type of things. They had this anthology things that were kind of little funny skits. But so the next movie, guys, uh, I ended up watching for the first time because of a discussion 
while watching the new series Andor, Star Wars Andor series, and that is the Scarlet Pimpernel. And my wife, Erin, and I watched this together, and boy, did she love watching this movie again. And she says, well, if you're going to watch one, you got to watch this one, of course. And this is the one, of course, that stars Jane Seymour, Anthony Andrews, and young Ian McKellen. Paris, 19, or excuse me, 1792, after France becomes a republic, aristocrats are being guillotined to death. The English Sir Percy tries to save as many as he can as the Scarlet Pimpernel in disguises. Now. Uh, why did this come up during talking Star Wars Andor? Well, if you watch Star Wars Andor, you'll realize that um, Mon Mothma is kind of becoming the Scarlet Pimpernel herself of the Rebellion. How she's having to live two different lives while secretly helping some people and uh, while working with the people that are oppressing them. And I was like, you know, I've heard of the Scarlet Pimpernel. I've never seen or read a book about it. And so we watched this one because my wife says, this is the one you got to watch. Uh, there's another one I do kind of want to watch, a different version of it. But uh, thoroughly enjoyed this. Oh, my God. Jane Seymour was beautiful in this. But Anthony Andrews, excellent as this. Lacey, have you seen The Scarlet Pimpernel? I don't think I've seen this one. I think I've seen the one with um, Richard E. Grant. That's the one well, I was going to watch first, and my wife yeah. said, no, you got to watch this one okay. first. This is the good one. Well, the Richard E. Grant, it's more of like a miniseries kind of situation. Yes, yes. I feel like it was mm -hmm. longer. Um, and it's Elizabeth McGovern, um, whom we all love. Um, yeah. So, I, no, I haven't seen this. I know the story, though, So, but it, it, it's an interesting story. And I, I would, now that I'm seeing this, I was like, mm, maybe I'll go back and watch a little bit of, you know, Ian McKellen as a as a youngster. Kyle, have you seen The Scarlet Pimpernel? now? No, but we, I have not seen that version and I'm, I need to find it. But that particular conversation you were talking about with Aaron led to us having a particular conversation about the beautiful Jane Seymour, which Aaron couldn't even fault us for having that conversation. <laughs> yes, no standing ground to argue. It, uh, it makes me want to go back and watch, because uh, I don't remember this. It's been too long, but I got to watch Somewhere in Time again uh, oh, yeah. with Chris, Christopher Reeve and, and, and watch yeah. uh, Jane Seymour. Uh, first time yeah. I remember her was in Battlestar Galactica. About, about this time, Jane Seymour might have been the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, definitely, definitely. All right, guys, next film I have not seen, and this is called They Call Me Bruce. A Korean man's resemblance to the legendary martial arts star Bruce Lee proves to be a mixing mixed blessing when he stumbles onto the activities of the mob, starring Johnny Yoon, Margot Hemingway, and Rafe Maru. The 25th anniversary edition DVD of this film was actually released 27 years after the film's theater debut. And the dojo Bruce takes a lesson is the same dojo in the Karate Kid franchise. Lacey, you said you've seen this. Tell me about They Call Me Bruce. Yeah, this is one of those ones kind of like um, it, it was very spoofy. It was very, you know, slapsticky and um, not a lot of cohesion in the storyline, which was great for like a nine or 10 year old. Um, we cracked up watching it. We'd watch it after school or whatever. Um, it it kind of had that feeling of like under the rainbow or mm -hmm. airplane, you know, that kind of thing. Um, not to the extent the success was not that of airplane, but um, it was really funny. Um, lots of, weird like skit gags where someone would be doing something and all of a sudden they'd trip over something. You turn around and it'd be like a banana peel or something. You know, it was very gotcha. gaggy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was super fun to watch as a kid. I don't know. 
I do not know how I would watch if you haven't seen it. I don't think it would hold up for you to watch it the first time now. That that's what I was wondering. Uh, it's yeah. interesting though because in trivia, Johnny Yoon uh, played mm-hmm. dual roles in this movie, Bruce and his grandfather. And the movie was a box office success in the USA despite launching only 325 theaters. And the movie spurred just one sequel, which was made and released around five years later in '87. They still call me Bruce. Was not successful commercially and went straight to video in a number of territories. So. There's also a lot of um, comedy that is not okay. There's yes. a lot of non-PC situation. Um, gotcha. gotcha. Not be, that's, and that's one of the reasons it, the second one didn't do well, because even five years later, it was not okay to say a lot of those things. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, Kyle? Yes, no. Um, they still coming, Bruce? Seen it? I, I I watched the trailer for this. I would be intrigued, but I, I kind of agree. I, I feel like this is one of those movies that you're going to watch it and go, yeah. I'm a little cringeworthy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. The next film called Jimmy the Kid. And, of course, mm-hmm. this was when Gary Coleman was at the height of his career, co-starring Paula Matt and Don Adams. Don Adams. That probably would have got me to watch it, but I've never seen this film. Second and final lead role in theatrical feature film of actor Gary Coleman. The previous was also Coleman's second cinema movie. The first had been in the previous 1981 years on the right track where Coleman had also top billed the cast. Uh, so guys, I, I don't know really what the plot of this is. It looks like it's, uh, um, I don't know, a comedy crime caper it says here uh, on the poster uh let me know what you think there lacy what was this about okay i'm not going to be spoiling this because it's 40 years old basically gary coleman plays a very well-off kid um the family's very well off so these kind of group of idiots decide they're going to they're reading a book that is just it describes like how to kidnap someone for ransom And so they decide they're going to kidnap this kid and hold him for ransom. And when they fail miserably at every turn, it turns (laughs) out that Gary Coleman wrote the book and that's why he's so wealthy. Gotcha. Because as a (laughs) nine-year-old, he's the one who decided. So because a nine-year-old or whatever wrote the book, it's obviously not very foolproof, but it was like meant as a comedy kind of thing. That's why they have their money. I'm a big Don Adams fan, of course, from, um, uh, Smart and the voice of Inspector Gadget. Apparently, he appears yeah. uh, appears in Drag in this picture. Filming took place off the I five freeway in Newhall, California. And when Don Adams was dressed as a woman, he kept flashing his legs at passing truckers. <laughs> and and of course, uh, Gary Coleman uh, was still on TV playing Arnold Jackson in the Different Strokes television series. It's on um, YouTube for free right now. Say it again. First of all. It's on YouTube. It's streaming on YouTube for free right now. Oh, cool. Thank you for the tip on that. Kyle. Mm-hmm. First of all, shout out because our, our, our friend of the network, D. Wallace, is in this film. That's right. So, yeah. We interviewed D. Wallace. Um, however, what, 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 with this film, this was this is something that I think is still one of the kind of the saddest parts of the early 80s was just the, okay, we have Gary Coleman and we are just going to stuff Gary Coleman down your throat one way or the other, whether it's with movies, TV, because from about 80 to 84, Lacey, you couldn't turn on your TV and not find Gary Coleman somewhere yeah. on the television <laughs> set. And I, I think I think so many people took advantage of him and they just they took his popularity and just grounded in the ground with overexposure. And Blazing. he had 37 
commercials. Like in, yeah. in, in the early eighties, he was in like 37 commercials. Yeah. Or something. It was oh yeah. Uh, and blazing saddle star Cleavon little was also in this. So there mm-hmm. you go. All right, guys, we are getting into December now of 1982. And next we have 48 hours. The boys are back in town. Nick Nolte is a cop. Eddie Murphy is a convict. Hard-nosed cop reluctantly teams up with a wise cracking criminal, temporarily paroled to him in order to track down a killer directed by Walter Hill, starring Nick Nolte, Eddie Murphy, Annette O'Toole, James Marr, and Sonny Landham. We love Sonny Kyle, don't we? And uh, I've got uh, I got the uh, the twofer there, the 48 Hours double feature, and of course another 48 Hours, the sequel that came out later. Um, Kyle, this really kind of kicked off the buddy cop uh, genre successfully, didn't it? And also launched Eddie Murphy's film career because he was still on Saturday Night Live at the time. Roxanne. <laughs> 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 48 hours not only kicked off the buddy cop movie it set the standard that i think today maybe lethal weapon is probably the closest thing to what the buddy cop movie is there are people who argue this is still eddie murphy's best movie and i can i i gotta give it to him to him i can't you can make the art you can make arguments but eddie murphy is phenomenal in this film um, this is an all-time classic. Uh, Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy play off of each other so incredibly well. There's a lot of things in this movie that wouldn't fly and be made into a movie today, but it is an all-time 80s cast. It sums up the 80s in, the, in the, its action and buddy buddy type thing that ran through the 80s so well. It's an all-time classic. It, it put Eddie Murphy on the map, and not only did it put it on him on the map, it almost put him at no, that ultimate star right out yeah. of the gate and my favorite rare. my favorite scene in this film is the bar scene where he pretends to be a police officer and <laughs> nick nolte's just kind of hanging out off to the side and then he sees uh eddie murphy like take the gun off the guy's boot and stuff like that lacy your thoughts on uh 48 hours I was nine and I did not ever catch up on this. I now I have to go back and see both of them. Um, I, oh, wow. You've, you have not seen 48 hours? No, my introduction to Eddie Murphy was wow. going as pop. Like, wow. I, oh my gosh. Uh, and in my, I just, I just, this is such a lacy movie. movie if yeah. you ask me, I knowing what you like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah I highly recommend it. Uh, All right. This this started the buddy cop thing. Even though one of them's not a cop, it's still a buddy cop mm-hmm. thing, and uh, and uh, it just so many copycat type things too, where one guy was a cop and one person was not, and they went on mm-hmm. an adventure together. And then you got the two cops together that kind of you know Lethal Weapon kind of took took it and then you know thing. But oh gosh, yeah, exactly. I highly recommend this. Is the precursor for the Castle TV show. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I will say, don't feel obligated to watch another 48 hours. It doesn't quite have the magic of the first one. Okay. But yeah. But the original 48 hours, that's in the pantheon. I still like I still like another 48 hours. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was okay. good. I thought the bad guy's really good. So definitely check it out. All right, guys. Next, we have to add, of course, the... I like to call <laughs> I like to call the uh hard to watch but definitely Oscar bait Gandhi and uh historical as well um directed by Richard Attenborough 
stars Ben Kingsley in his Oscar-winning role, John Gilgood, over uh, the life of the lawyer who became the fame leader of the Indian revolt against the British rule through its philosophy and nonviolent protest. I'll be honest with you guys. I did not see this movie in the theater. I actually saw it at school for a project because we were talking about history. And I remember we watched this over a few uh, hours of school. Uh, I had heard about it um, and uh, I'd learned about Gandhi for this particular class that we took. Uh, it's a tough watch for obvious reasons, but man, Ben's Kingsley was awesome in this role and earned, earned his Oscar, but uh, I've never seen it again since probably not going to ever watch it again uh, just because of the subject matter. And it's a tough subject to, to watch as well, but boy was uh, Ben good in this uh, Kyle, your thoughts on Gandhi. Gandhi is one of those movies. I think if you are a movie aficionado, you need to watch at some point in your life. Again, I agree with you, Kevin. It's probably a watch once and done with it, but it is one of the single greatest performances by an actor. And it, it you need Ben Ben Kingsley. Yes, this was an Oscar bait film, but it was Ben Kingsley deserved the Oscar. He got the Oscar, and he was phenomenal in this. Again, to me, this is like I said, this is one of those ones you watch at one time, and that's probably your only time you'll watch this unless you are watching it for some kind of project or something like that. This is not a rewatchable film. So as far as that, as a Kevin Wright's rule, it's <laughs> the rewatchability of this film is on the zero scale, but it's not because it's a bad film. It's just because it's such a heavy film and powerful and powerful film, but it's just something you want to revisit. Phenomenal yeah. Ben Kingsley performance. Lacey, have you seen Gandhi? I love Ben Kingsley. I cannot watch things where people are just horrible to each other. I can't, I don't do anything that's like traumatic incidents. Um, I've read the story. I've read, you know, all about the situation and everything, but I don't think I could stomach watching it. Yeah, it, it is a tough watch, but uh, Ben Kingsley looks so much like Mahatma Gandhi that right. many natives thought him to be Gandhi's ghost. And over 300,000 actors appeared in the funeral sequence. About 200,000 were volunteers. 94,000 were paid a small fee under contract. The sequence was filmed on January 31st, 1981, the 33rd anniversary of Gandhi's funeral, 11 crews shot over 20,000 feet of film, which was pegged down to two minutes and five seconds in the final release. That's a lot of stuff. Right, yeah. All right, guys, next one, The Verdict, starring Paul Newman, Charlotte Rampling, and Jack Warden, directed by Sidney Lament, an outcast, alcoholic Boston lawyer, sees the chance to salvage his career and self-respect by taking a medical malpractice case to trial rather than settling. Among the people in the courtroom during the dramatic closing speech is a young Bruce Willis. Guys, I've never seen this film. Uh, I love me some Paul Newman, but I just never got around to watching because I just, to me, it just screamed boring court film. <laughs> Kyle, have you seen The Verdict? I have not seen The Verdict, but what I find funny is that a a podcast both you and I love very much just covered this movie recently as well. And that is the rewatchables. <laughs> yeah. I didn't listen to that. I, I have not listened to that just cause I just couldn't get around. I, I may listen to it just because I want to see what they say, but I just can't get around to watching this. Uh, Lacey, have you? I haven't. And now that I'm realizing that it was written by David Mamet, now I have to go back. I love him. Um, 
And now I have to go back and watch this movie. Sidney Lament didn't read the novel until after he did the movie because of David Mamet's screenplay. And the movie was nominated for five Academy Awards, which we'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I guess I got to be in the mood for it. But uh, you know what movie I am in the mood for always is that Airplane 2, the sequel. <laughs> I have the uh, DVD right here, guys. Airplane, of course, the original was great. This one decided to get a little more corny. The faulty computer causes a passenger space shuttle to head straight for the sun. Can Ted Stryker save the day and get the shuttle back on track again? Uh, stars Robert Hayes, Julie Haggerty, Lloyd Bridges returns. Uh, the Zucker, Abram Zucker writing and directing trio um, claim on the DVD audio commentary of Airplane 1980 never to have seen this film. They initially agreed to to the sequel and then balked at the idea at a later date. The movie went ahead without their permission. And despite their protest, thus they refused to watch a single frame of it upon its release and still have not over 20 years later. Um, guys, I remember this movie too, because it had William Shatner in it. And he looks into the periscope and sees the USS enterprise from star Trek, the original series. This is the only time the original television version of the enterprise appeared on big screen for the theatrical movies. It had been heavily modified. Uh, Lacey, your thoughts on airplane to the sequel. Have you seen it? I love a good slapstick comedy. I love a good parody. I've seen all their stuff, like between the first one and this one and uh, top secret, you know, I mean, I love all the, uh, the, the send up kind of flicks. Uh, yes, definitely, definitely a, a good, um, uh, evening of, of laughs if you have the, po the poster that i showed because it was a, a, a december release showed santa claus mm -hmm. being towed uh behind the airplane but uh, i'm a fan of the dvd that has the two planes in knots i love this poster <laughs> i thought it was great kyle were you a fan of the sequel or the first airplane i love the first airplane it's been a long time since i've watched the sequel and i think i need to revisit it because i don't remember too much of it well other than it seemed like you're kind of basically telling the same story but in space this time if i am remembering correctly yes i could a shuttle be trying to land on the moon and yeah <laughs> yeah so um but I, I do i do remember there was a 3d controversy with this film uh yes do tell um they there were several advertisements that said this movie was going to be in 3d and uh yeah no it was never going to be in 3d but they did test screenings in 3d and people were like why is this movie so blurry and hurting my eyes <laughs> <laughs> and to this day the people say we have no idea how that even happened <laughs> yeah it happened in cincinnati yeah so that's funny i love that i love that all right guys the next film is sophie's choice Sophie is a survivor of nazi concentration camps who has found a reason to live with nathan if sparkling and unsteady American Jew obsessed with the Holocaust. They befriend Stingo, the movie's narrator. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to get through uh, that telling. I've never seen this film. Stars Meryl Streep, Kevin Klein, Peter McNichol. Uh, Meryl Streep had to learn a Polish accent, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, this is not a film I ever wanted to see for whatever reason, but I know it got probably some acting award attention. Um, Lacey, have you seen Sophie's Choice? 
this is the film that is the reason I can't watch movies about the Holocaust or slavery or like, this is the one that I saw where I was like, I can never watch things about this again. Sophie's choice is that she has a five-year-old daughter and a six-year-old son and the Lieutenant at the concentration camp makes her choose which one is going to live. Oh my God. And it's like, and so she has to deal with the whole trauma of the fact that she sent one of her children to the gas chamber. Oh, like it's, it's like, it's a dramatic, I mean, it's, I, I can't. I, it's just, okay. So uh, apparently Meryl Streep's performance as Sophie is ranked number three on premier magazine's hundred greatest performances of all time. Would you agree with this Lacey, since you've seen the film? Um, the performance was fantastic. I, I, the, but the content was so traumatic that I honestly, I know that it was good because it was so traumatic to me. Like I, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? But I, I can't tell you that I remember anything about the film other than the fact that she had to choose to kill her daughter. So apparently after seeing the film, John Cleese decided to cast Kevin Klein in a movie called Fish Called Wanda. <laughs> so that's mm-hmm. interesting how that time. Kyle, have you ever seen Sylvie's Toys? <sighs> uh, no. <laughs> I know. I heard enough stories from people and this is, and yeah, no, I, okay. I, I don't right. need to see it. <laughs> it's not in my repertoire. Thank you for uh, confirming the reason why I still haven't seen this, uh, Lacey. I appreciate that. Yes, I'm sorry you, yeah, you had to endure rough, this. It, it's definitely a rough watch. Um, okay. it's, it's a lot. Uh, it's funny too, because the poster shows like something different that you would expect if you did not know. It's like Sophie's Choice. Did he, she had to choose between two men? Ugh, gosh, well, good to know. Uh, happier movie sillier movie the toy starring richard pryor and jackie gleason uh, an under uh underemployed reporter finds himself literally purchased as a toy for a rich spoiled brat directed by richard donner starring richard pryor jackie gleason and ned Beatty. uh in his e true hollywood story in 96 bio scott schwartz said that the hardest part of making this movie was working with jackie gleason schwartz was trained to memorize his lines and gleason's improvisations threw him off resulting in gleason yelling at him uh and the mansion in this movie was the chauvinet house near baton rouge louisiana it covered thirty-four thousand square feet on 500 acres and two lakes, uh, one of which was covered more than 200 acres, uh, included fish um, and exotic ducks. I think I've seen parts of this film, Kyle. Uh, it was on repeat a lot, but it just didn't resonate me with re- resonate with me for some reason. Uh, I don't know. If, if, what, what are your thoughts on the toy? Okay, first of all, no way in hell does this movie ever get made today. Just based off of the basic storyline of this. But this is also this Hollywood being Hollywood and deciding, yes, we're going to make Richard Pryor a family comedian. We're going to put him in a run of movies for families. And yeah, you you could tell Richard was not real happy to be there. Jackie Gleason wasn't happy to be there. And of course, we all know uh, Mr. Schwartz's uh, future down the line. But this this movie was just one of those movies. I think what you re- the, the scenes I remember from it are just some of the crazy stunts Richard Pryor pulled off during the filming of this. And him and uh, the young Mr. Schwartz running around in matching Spider-Man outfits. But 
I think the rough watch. Yeah. The thing that stood out to me was in the trivia, the movie featured five kid size racing cards that could actually Mm -hmm. travel as fast as 50 miles an hour. Uh, But I, I, I just can't get into this. Lacey, did you ever see the toy? Okay. Imagine if silver spoons was set in like racist Alabama (laughs) it's <laughs> basically the premise and, and, and it's and i will anytime i hear the word propeller i i hear the scene where she goes no they were propellers propeller like she has this, uh, okay. this lilting voice and it's hilarious um it's it's absolutely hilarious to watch it is not okay it is not okay it wasn't okay then and it's not okay now. not pc yeah, yeah okay but yeah, it's, but it I'm is fine. Really I'm fine with never trying to watch this all the way through. Then I, I watched the trailer again to be reminded of like, yeah, I've seen portions of this, but yeah, I can't do it. Okay. All right. And so wasn't the kid like the second friend in a Christmas story? Chris, yep. He was. And then he went on to become like a porn star or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Yes. Yes. <laughs> all right, guys, the next movie uh, called the year of living dangerously. Starring Mel Gibson, Sigourney Weaver, and Linda Hunt. A young Australian reporter tries to navigate the political ter- turmoil of Indonesia during the rule of President Sukarno with the help of a photographer. So, um, director Peter Weir, uh, filmed in Manila, was halted after three weeks due to death, death threats to the production. Reportedly, these were directed at Mel Gibson and Peter Weir. The threats alleged that the film was intended to be anti-Islam. For the protection, for the protection and safety of the cast and crew, the whole production was moved to Sydney to complete principal photography. The movie was costly and a huge strain on the picture's art department. And with a budget of six million, this was at the time one of the most expensive and ambition Australian films ever undertaken. And so, <laughs> I was doing some research on this guy playing an Asian dwarf in this movie. Linda Hunt's height at the time of the film was reported in Time Magazine as being four foot nine inches. Linda Hunt is the first actress to win an Academy Award for portraying a member of the opposite sex and the only actress to win an Academy Award for playing a size gender man. I'm sorry. Cisgendered. Cisgender. Thank you. Cisgender man. Hilary Swank received one for playing a transgender man in Boys Don't Cry, and Gwyneth Paltrow received one for playing a woman pretending to be a man, pretending to be a woman in Shakespeare in Love in 1998. I watched this trailer. I actually have it on DVD. I was planning on watching it, but after I watched the trailer, I was like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Lacey, have you seen this film? Prove me wrong. Should I watch it? I have. It is worth watching for Linda Hunt's performance alone. It is really it, it, it's it's let me put it this way it it has the feel of like her character has the feel of like short round grown up and like okay. really good at his job like did the, you buy the, did you buy her performance in because apparently she won oh, an award absolutely absolutely but you know okay. the, the whole concept of, of short round being like you know the sidekick or whatever in yeah. Indiana Jones this is like this is like that character grew up and is the best at getting into places and out of places and sneaking. Like he's, it's just, it's just, and I think that they kind of played off of that. Um, um, Sigourney Weaver looked very pretty in this from the trailer. Your thoughts on her performance. She was amazing, but okay. it really was a, the standout performance is Linda Hunt. 
I uh, I talked to my wife about this. She's like, you're not going to like it. <laughs> she, she knows my taste, but I don't know. Kyle, have you seen this film? I have not seen this film, but I have to admit, the trailer kind of intrigued intrigued me, If it, at least. Um, I, I would probably give it, a, I would give it a check out. A young Mel Gibson, a young Sigourney Weaver, um, some political okay. intrigue. Um, and I, I wasn't registering the Linda Hunt part till I read the notes here about yeah. that. So yeah. Um, I, okay. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't seek my way to it, but if it came across, it came across my desk, I'd probably give it a check out. I'm going to have to think about it. I've got it. We'll see. I feel like if using, if using, um, Ki Hu Kwan is not going to like get you in, into it. I don't think anybody's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Next we have best friends. Uh, starring uh, Burt Reynolds, Goldie Hawn, Jessica Tandy, directed by Norman Jewison. When a professional couple who have lived and worked together for many years finally decide to marry, their sudden betrothal causes many unexpected, funny, and awkward difficulties. They soon find that being married is often quite different than from being best friends. Uh, Burt Reynolds once said that of his co-star Goldie Hawn in this movie, Goldie and and I had been talking for five years about doing a movie together. She's someone who makes me laugh, really laugh. I knew her when she was a dumb blonde. And even when she was one of the smartest people I knew, and we'd, we'd meet for dinner and compare notes on the script we'd read and liked. And we always ran up against the same problem. The male roles always dominated the female characters or vice versa. They didn't seem to be writing the kind of give and take comedies that Tracy and Hepburn, Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn or Cary Grant and Jean Arthur used to do. Uh, Lacey, you've seen best friends. I have not. What do you think? Uh, it was great. I actually watched it again last week because I happened to have the Blu-ray or the DVD uh, just sort of floating around. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of the, um, it's definitely a, a Burt Reynolds movie, um, tone-wise, I guess you might say. A lot of um, more masculine statements made that would not necessarily be okay today. Right. Um, but Goldie Hawn is hilarious, and there's a couple of kind of running gags throughout it. Um, I think that Jessica Tandy uh, was amazing, but terribly underused. Um, it was kind of uh, had a, the feel of like home for the holidays or something like that, where they go and visit each of the families after they get married. And then it just, everything blows up at each place. Well, uh, Goldie Hawn was uh, golden globe nominated for best actress in a motion picture comedy musical for performance, but she lost out to Julie Andrews for uh, Victor Victoria. You know, I might try to check it out. I'm going to see if it's streaming somewhere. Cause I do like these guys. Uh, yeah. Wait. So was that golden globe or Oscar golden globe? Okay, because that would have been another person who won an award for being a woman playing a man playing a woman. It's true, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Kyle, so I want to chime here because I haven't seen this movie, but it made me check out a couple of things, reading the notes and finding out. You would have thought Burt Reynolds and Goldie Hawn would have had more films together. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I was thinking about this, and I'm not saying Sally, you can't replace Sally Field in Smoking and the Bandit, but a young Goldie Hawn in that role in Smoking and the Bandit could work yeah it's a what if could have been yeah definitely so yeah okay i have to put that on the radar i'll see apparently burt reynolds and and uh you know after he did a couple of flicks with um dolly um people were hesitant to put him opposite another blonde because you can't go up against dolly and so they had to wait 
a little minute before they found something to do together. Apparently. But this worked for you, right? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I dug okay, it. Cool. Yeah. All right, I'll, I'll I'll take your word for it. All right, next one saw in the theater. One of the best, The Dark Crystal. I got my uh, DVD copy right here, my uh, kind of uh, collector's edition one, which uh, you know kind of hard to find nowadays but uh, i know they've re-released this with any anniversary editions of course they've had the uh the series that came out as well which i never ended up finishing kyle but this movie i remember seeing with my mom in the theater uh the skexies and uh, the story was great the puppetry was just fantastic jim henson ah uh, uh, i don't even know where to start but on another planet in the distant past a gelfling embarks on a quest to find the mystic shard of the magical crystal and to restore order to the world. Of course, directors, Jim Henson, Frank Oz stars, Jim Henson, Catherine Mullen, Frank Oz. Uh, and Jim Henson's plan with this movie was to get back to the darkness of the original brothers, grim fairy tales. He felt that children liked the idea of being scared. And this was a healthy emotion for him to deal, which to deal with Kyle, your thoughts on the dark crystal. This is one of my all-time favorite films. Uh, this and, of course, Labyrinth are just so it, – it, it's, it's frustrating because it's so good, and yet the untapped potential of this side of Jim Henson creations drives me bonkers because The Dark Crystal was phenomenal. I don't remember seeing anything else like it at the time. Oh, God, no. I, I I was a huge fan of this movie. Um, I, I recorded it off of Showtime – was interesting too. And I loved about it, the Showtime airing of it. The credits were in blue and it was the kind of the sorceress, sorceress, the, uh, and it was her face with in blue with the credits running over it instead of the regular, what were the regular closing credits of the film. And I always remember that sitting out, but the puppetry is amazing. The world is amazing. It did come back with that Netflix series, which was untimely canceled. I am hoping Disney somewhere along the line, gets their act together and brings that back or does something with the dark crystal, because this is a world right now that we should be exploring mm. full on. And it's, I mean, this is one of the all time classic films that for, for family and children. And it's, it, it's, it's just amazing. Lacey, your thoughts on the dark crystal. Have you seen it? Yeah. Hated it. I'm sorry. I, I <laughs> you guys. It was so dark and so scared. Like I was that kid that was afraid. Like I was that kid who scared me. And, but as we all know, not a fan of horror. So as a nine-year-old, it, it scared, maybe that's the trauma that sent me off on the never watching horror movies. Um, I didn't, I didn't, it was, it was even, even physically dark. Like it was like the setting was dark. The tone was dark. It was scary to me. And I, I think I was just like traumatized as a child. You're not alone in that. I've heard of people yeah. saying the same thing. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it like both. No, of you, like it was. It was yeah. dark. Um, so early drafts of the scripts featured Jen and Kira traveling through the underworld, where they encountered a race of underground mining creatures. The concept was later integrated into the Fraggle Rock. Doozers. And uh, yeah, as the Doozers. Yeah. At the time it was made, it was hailed as the only live action movie in which human characters makes no appearance with the exception of some of the wide shots of the Gelflings um, or those land striders. You had the humans, you know, inside those uh, outfits. Um, 
And uh, it would have been the first live action movie where no human actors appeared. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to the special feature, uh, this special edition I have. It's got this cool like notepad here. Um, and uh, also the Dark Crystal uh, inset here has a film cell, which is pretty cool. Uh, I really like this feature. Kyle, yes. I was just going to say, anybody who watches this film, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't whether you own a DVD or something, do not watch the making of the Dark Crystal featurette because it is amazing the work that Henson Company put it into this. In fact, I remember there was. Hold on, uh, did you say uh, do not watch it? No, do watch. Oh, do watch. It. Do okay. watch. I, I thought you yeah, said do. do not, I, th I swear no, you no, said do, do not watch it. Yeah, <laughs> do, do, do watch. Do not go without watching this. Okay. <laughs> um, gotcha. There was there's a show I've mentioned before. It was called Lights, Camera, Action on Nickelodeon that Leonard Nimoy used to host, and they did a big segment on this movie too and it was one of the things that made me want to watch this movie because it was they were using that show as kind of a preview th thing for this but yeah it's it's fantastic and just like i said one of my that, i can revisit the dark crystal any the two things i love about this film and i always remember is fizz gig the little dog mm -hmm. creature uh <laughs> that, that, <laughs> yes yes uh i use that as my avatar i think for uh um netflix i think it is or something like that i mm -hmm. forget which one uh but also chamberlain the skexy yes, ah, yes. yes. Just, just yeah. was he the was he the uh inspiration for mr burns I yes i think so yeah, yeah definitely his whining yes yes <laughs> Um, yeah, you, Kyle, I'm with you though. Uh, it's a world I would like to return to, but, uh, Lacey, not going to hold it against you. You're not alone. I know people that don't like this film for that reason. So yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, the next film took me 40 years to finally see. Finally saw Tootsie starring Dustin Hoffman. Watched it for the first time this year. Never seen it all the way through. I've seen little parts of it here and there. I don't know. I just never, never saw it in the theater. My parents never saw it in the theater. Uh, when it finally released on pay or on uh, cable television with commercials and stuff like that. Never, like I said, we didn't have any of the pay channels. But I just never got around to watching it. Um, it's about an actor. Uh, Michael Dorsey is an unsuccessful actor. He disguises himself in a woman in order to get a role on a trashy hospital soap directed by Sidney Pollack, um, co-starring Jessica Lange and Terry Garr. Uh, gotta tell you guys, as good as Dustin Hoffman is in this, Jessica Lange was just adorable in this film. I really liked it. I thought it was fun. Um, Dustin Hoffman was great, uh, and I love the character that he played in there as well. And the character of Dorothy originally did not speak with a southern accent built in doing research. Dustin Hoffman discovered that his voice fell more closely into the range of a female pitch while doing the accent. And the crew would only give bad news to Dustin Hoffman if he was in drag. They said he was much nicer as a woman. And Dustin Hoffman, Dustin Hoffman tried out his role as Dorothy by passing himself off as his daughter's aunt Dorothy at his parents' evening at school. His performance was so strong, he actually convinced the teachers they never suspected. Uh, Lacey, Dustin Hoffman, Tootsie. Loved it. Loved the purse, loved the shoes, love everything. <laughs> Kyle, your thoughts on Tootsie? The man can accessorize. 
you know, it's interesting too about this film. Everyone was good in this. Everyone had their moment in this, which I thought was good. A good, great ensemble ca uh, cast in this. And Dabney Coleman, I love Dabney Coleman. He was great in this. I, I, I and Bill Murray too as the roommate and friend. <laughs> he was good too. Charles Durning, uh, got just a really good uh, ensemble cast. I think that really gets overshadowed with uh, Dustin Hoffman and Jessica Lange in this. And Terry Gar was great as well. Kyle, you bring up Dabney Coleman. In my opinion, one of the more underrated act and underappreciated actors of the early years. Yeah, agreed. Definitely, definitely. All right, guys. Well, that actually does it for the movies that we've chosen to elaborate on. But we are going to uh, briefly go over the cutting room floor, the movies that uh, we don't have time to go into. But what we're going to do is give a chance for either one of us to briefly mention in about 30 seconds a few of these films that deserve some mention. And we're going to start off with uh, Inchon. Starring uh, Lawrence Olivier, Jacqueline Bazette, and Ben Gazzara. During the Korean War, General Douglas MacArthur masterminds the amphibious invasion of Incheon in September 1950. Next, we have Trail of the Pink Panther. Journalist Martin Jovet, Joanna Lumley, attempts to uncover the mysterious disappearance of Inspector Jacques Cousteau, played by Peter Sellers, who um, uh, was not in this film. They used a uh, previous film stuff so yeah gets a little weird next we have kiss me goodbye starring sally field james con and jeff bridges not until three years after the death of her husband jolly Kay dares to move back into the former house persuaded by her new fiance rupert but soon the worst expectations come true not only did her old memories haunt her but also jolly's ghost who doesn't approve of the new mate invisible to anyone but Kay. he tries to prevent the wedding directed by Robert Mulligan. I feel like they did redid this film um, later on. I'm forgetting the actress in this. Uh, next we, what's that? Lacey? I was going to say, if, if you love James Caan and his, you know, masculine, you know, all of his masculine roles, seeing this role, because he plays a choreographer, like a, like a, a Broadway choreographer and Sally Field has one of her best on-screen meltdowns. It surpasses anything else she's ever had. One of the, you know, one of her classic Sally Field, you know, it is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I love this movie. Please watch this movie. <laughs> Kiss me goodbye. Okay. Yes. Uh, let me know if it's streaming somewhere. I'd be kind of curious to, to check yeah. it out. Uh, this next movie, I saw the trailer for it. I'm like, I don't know if I can watch this. Uh, this is called Split Image. Homeland has kidnapped Danny's mind. The ruthless young man is drawn into uh, a rootless, excuse me, young man is drawn into an unarmed religious cult by a beautiful girl. Every moment of the group causes him to become increasingly under the control of the cult's leader. Uh, stars Michael O'Keefe, Karen Allen, and Peter Fonda. Peter Fonda and Karen Allen play the cult leaders. And um, they, uh, what is it? Uh, Brian Dennehy is the father and he hires um, James Wood to go get him. And, uh, yeah, it, that, if you watch the trailer, it, it looks like a tough watch. <laughs> Next, we have uh, Sorceress, starring Lee Harris, Lynette Harris, and Bob Nilsson, um, uh, produced by Jack Hill. Sword and Sorcery story of a cosmic struggle between white magic and black magic. 
Um, and uh, most of the music was taken from James Horner's score, uh, Battle Beyond the Stars. <laughs> Next, we have uh, Looking to Get Out, uh, starring John Voight and Margaret and Burt Young. Alex has a good day at the track and bad night at the poker game. And Hell have a worse time if the guys he owes catch up with him. So Alex and go along with Jerry split for Las Vegas. Uh, hold on. We'll come back to this. Hold on, Lacey. I got to go over these real quick. Next, we have Monsignor, starring Christopher Reeve, Genevieve Bujol, Fernando Ray. Uh, then we also have The Missionary, uh, starring uh, Michael Palin and Maggie Smith and Trevor Howard. And then we have The Gray Fox, uh, starring Richard Farnsworth, Jackie Burroughs, and Ken Pogue. When an aging but gentleman stagecoach robber is released from prison, he decides to go to Canada. Canada canada to become a train robber and then we have uh six weeks uh starring dudley moore mary tyler moore and Catherine healy and uh that is it for the cutting room floor lacy which movie do you want to uh give some love to um first of all uh kiss me goodbye is owned by turner classic movies so if you've got that app it'll be on there Turner Classic. Um, Thank you. Appreciate yeah, Turner that. Classic movies. Um, six weeks is lovely, but very, very sad. Um, very okay. much a dramatic kind of a melodrama. But uh, very- the little the little girl has cancer, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's leukemia. Right? Yeah, and um, but Dudley Moore and and Mary Tyler Moore um, are both phenomenal in this movie. Um, okay, it's really, really well done. Gotcha. Uh, quick shout out to anything else, Lacey? Uh, just again with Kiss Me Goodbye. And I will say Monsignor is um, not what you expect, but one of Christopher Reeve's, un, like people just, it's just that undiscovered movie that he did that no one knows about. He was trying Kiss to me, basically yeah. uh, get out of yep. the uh, role of Superman. Superman. I'm sorry, right? Uh, yeah, this one here, Monsignor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay. Yeah, very Kyle, different Kyle, movie. The next one, <laughs> Kyle. Uh, any of these that I came out? Do you want to give uh, some love to? Um, not so much love, but I gotta say, any of the Pink Panther movies to me highly overrated and very boring. <laughs> it's so <laughs> okay. funny because right. I used Kyle. I used to watch them all the time with my parents, and I actually found this collection, the Pink Panther collection. But uh, the tra- sorry, so, what, what was that, Lacey? I have it. In the same one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but this one here, the uh, I, I think this one is probably the least favorite, and it's too because like Peter Sellers' fourth wife, the wife Lynn Frederick, won a, a million dollar four hundred seventy five thousand lawsuit against the makers of this film. Uh, she said the movie insulted the memory of her late husband because uh, he's you know he died before this film, I guess, and they use some archival footage and. The actor who played Chief Inspector Jacques Clouseau in scenes shot after Peter Sellers' death with John Taylor, who doubled for Sellers in the fiendish plot of Dr. Fu Manchu that came out in 1980. Uh, I liked him when I was a kid with my parents watching it, but I don't know if I can go back and watching it, though. So The, the other one I wanted to give out a shout-out to was Sorceress, um, produced by Roger Corman. So he used all, of course, his great marketing tricks. Come on, you look at that movie poster, which was also used for the DVD cover. Kevin, we're at our uh, at a young age in Blockbuster. We are renting that because that cover alone is selling us. Yeah, this is when 80s uh, video uh, covers were at its finest, and they got great artists doing that. It's like, oh, my God, there's a 
a lion with bat wings and some hot chick fighting a monkey with an axe and a snake at the same time. Let's do this. And I guarantee you none of that is actually probably in the film. <laughs> it's just true. <laughs> By the way, a little trivia about that. A little trivia about this movie. Director Jack Hill claimed that Dino De Laurentiis, who was filming Dune in 84 in the same studio, stole the movie's lighting equipment for his own production. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, guys. So that was the cutting room floor. Uh, and uh, uh, the top, let's, let, let me go to the top grossing movies. I think that was the next segment here, guys. So yeah, the end of this film here, the top grossing movies of 1982 are 10 with Annie, 57 million. The Best of the Horror House in Texas, 69 million. Poltergeist, 76 million. At number seven, 48 hours, 78 million. And number six, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, Paramount, $78 million. Porky's, number five, $105 million. Rocky III, $124 million. At number three is An Officer and a Gentleman at $129 million. Tootsie, at number two, $177 million. And the top spot, E.T., The Extraterrestrial, at $359 million. Kyle. But basically what we learned from all of this in 1982 was E.T. and his Reese's Pieces took everything else in 1982 and said, you're all my bitch and I own you. This is true. This <laughs> is true. That only two of them are children's films, like family films, because normally the highest grossing films are going to have the family film, you know, or the family films because you're paying for four tickets instead of just two. This was a sign of the times too. Mm -hmm. R-rated films were becoming top grocers, and I mean, if you look at you know, mm -hmm. you know, Porky's what at number five, uh, yeah, and yeah, and of course, Forty Eight Hours, the R-rated stuff was becoming a big hit, and people were going there to do that. But what's funny is I remember seeing, I think since Star Wars, uh, any Star Wars film, I went back and saw ET multiple times in the theater. So that, that's yeah. what I was about to say too, Kevin. I think this, this when you look at 82, it's reflective of people taking multiple trips to the theater. Cause I know a lot of people who saw ET multiple times, saw Rocky three multiple times, yeah. multiple times, Star Trek two and 48 hours all multiple times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Rocky, yeah. Rocky three, actually, this was the first Rocky film I saw and I saw it in the theater and Mr. T was the first villain. I saw Rocky fight and coming out with, uh, I the tiger man, you just want to fight everybody coming out of that theater, like, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, as we wrap things up, we gotta talk about the awards. 55th uh 55th Academy Awards presented April 2nd, 1983 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. The ceremonies were preside were hosted with uh Liza Minnelli, Dudley Moore, Richard Pryor, and Walter Matthau. And the best picture that winner, of course, was Gandhi. Uh, followed by nominations of E.T., The Extraterrestrial, Missing, Tootsie, and The Verdict. Um, thoughts on that? Uh, Lacey, do you think Gandhi was the uh, best picture winner? Should have gotten it? Remember, until like the 19, I don't know, late, late, eight, late 80s, early 90s, everything that was that one was always like the super dramatic drive. Yeah. yeah. E.T. was not going to win that back then, right, even though I right. felt like it should have Yeah, I think maybe exactly. even Tootsie should have won it. Kyle, your thoughts? Best picture? I, I think Gandhi, I, rem I remember Gandhi just being like, this is the movie that was going to dominate the Oscars and everything like that. But I, I know there was a lot of 11? talk. Yeah. Well, I, I know there was a lot of talk about Tootsie maybe pulling an upset. 
E.T., the fact that it even got nominated was a miracle in itself with the way the Academy was back then. Yeah. Uh, well, best picture, yes, Gandhi. Best director, of course, went to its director, Richard Attenborough. Best, uh, and the other directors that were up and that were nominated were Wolfgang Peterson for Das Boot, Steven Spielberg for E.T., Sidney Pollack for Tootsie, and Sidney Lament for The Verdict. Best actor, of course, went to Ben's, Ben Kingsley. Other else also nominated was Dustin Hoffman for Tootsie, Jack Lemmon for Missing, Paul Newman for The Verdict, and Peter O'Toole as my favorite year. Nobody's uh, best good a chance. Yeah, <laughs> best actress Meryl Streep won for Sophie's Choice, uh, and nominated was Julie Andrews for Victor Victoria, Jessica Lange as Francis, uh, Sissy Spacek in Missing, and Deborah Winger in An Officer and Gentleman. And of course, Louis Gossick Jr. won for Best Supporting Actor for An Officer and Gentleman. Uh, Charles Durning was nominated for Best Little Whorehouse, John Lithgow in The World According to Garp, James Mason is the, in the verdict. Preston and Victor Victoria. Uh, Best Supporting Actress, Jessica Lange won for Tootsie. Yay, that was a good one. Glenn Glenn Close was nominated for The World According to Garp, Terry Garr for Tootsie, Kim Stanley for Francis, and Leslie Ann Warren for Victor. And the Best Original Song score um, was Victor Victoria by Henry Mancini. Nominated Annie and One from the Heart. And Best Original Song, Up Where We Belong from Officer and Gentleman, Kyle, didn't you say in the trivia that uh, producers didn't think that song was going to be good at all, right? No, they were like, really? This is this is what, what we would use, and it turned out it was the right song for the film, though Eye of the Tiger would get my Oscar. Yeah, Eye of the Tiger was nominated, should have won, but of course, yeah, no. Uh, how do you keep this music playing? Um, if We Were In Love and It Might Be You, also from Tootsie, was uh, nominated. Best Makeup, Quest for Fire won over Gandhi. Best Costume Design, Gandhi won um, over Tron. That sucks. Yes. <laughs> won over for Victor Victoria. I mean, the guy that put the uh, the little uh, thing in front of uh, Jeff Bridges' crotch because his bulge was too big, he should have won an Oscar for that. So, yeah, yeah. there you go. But uh, best visual effects did, of course, go to E.T. Uh, Runner-ups were Blade Runner and Poltergeist, and Mickey Rooney won the Honorary Academy Award. Guys, we do have to mention, oh, yes, Kyle. I just want to say, best visual effects, if this was now, Tron would be nominated, and maybe even. It wasn't nominated because uh, they felt that um, they were faking the visual cheating. effects. Yeah, yeah, they, th they thought they were cheating. cheating. Yep. Now it would have won. Yep. So we do have to talk about the Golden Raspberry Awards, guys. This is the third annual Golden uh, Raspberry Awards. They were held April 11th, 1983 at an Oscar night potluck party to recognize the worst in film industry had to offer in 1982. Worst picture was Inchon. Nominated was Annie, Butterfly, Megaforce, and the Pirate Movie. <laughs> Megaforce, come on! I love three out of the five of those. It's okay, Ace. <laughs> <laughs> you should have won. You should have won. <laughs> All right. I didn't get weird, did it? No. Uh, worst director, Ken Anakin for the pirate movie. Terrence Young and Inchon, it was a tie. Followed by Matt Chimber for Butterfly. John Houston for Annie and Hal Needham. How dare you for Megaforce? <laughs> Worst actor, Lawrence Olivier in Inchon as Douglas MacArthur. Uh, nominated were Willie Ames in Paradise and Zapped. <laughs> Christopher Atkins in the Pirate Movie. Luciana Pavarotti in Yes, Giorgio. And Arnold Schwarzenegger for Conan the Barbarian. Come on! <laughs> 
Worst actress, Pia Zadora for Butterfly. Nominated, Morgan Fairchild for The Seduction. Mia Farrow for A Midsummer's Night Sex Comedy. Christy McNichol in The Pirate Movie. Mary Tyler Moore for Six Weeks. Best Supporting, or excuse me, Worst Supporting Actor, Ed McMahon in Butterfly. Michael Beck in Megaforce. Come on, Michael. <laughs> ben Gazzara in Inchon. Ted Hamilton and his crotch in Pirate Movie. Orson Welles in Butterfly. <laughs> Butterfly. <laughs> worst Supporting can't, can't, Actress. Wait. The winner was Ailey Quinn in Annie. Um, uh, Ritania Alda in Amityville 2. Colleen Camp in The Seduction. Diane Cannon in Death Trap. Lois, Lois Nelton in Butterfly. And Worst New Star was Piazzador in Butterfly. Morgan Fairchild in Seduction. Luciano Pavarotti in Yes, Giorgio. Aileen Quinn in Annie. And Mr. T got nominated for Worst New Star in Rocky 3, Kyle. This, that's not right. Yeah, um... I th and worst musical score, I'll go down the bottom here, was the pirate movie. <laughs> love that movie. You can't convince me it's bad. I love it. I love and, it. I love it. I, wait, wait. I got to say, worst original song, Pumping and Blowing from the pirate movie. Pumping and Blowing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm sorry, but Ace got robbed here for Megaforce. <laughs> oh, well. All right, guys. Uh, and by the way, these Films that garnered the most multiple nominations for the Razzies was 10 for Butterfly, 9 for the Pirate Movie, 5 for Annie and Inchon, and 3 for Megaforce, The Seduction, and Yes, Giorgio. So there we go. <laughs> All right, guys, as we wrap this up, this is the end of 1982, 40th anniversary for Movies and Pop Culture Part 5. Uh, Lacey, let me get your final thoughts on uh, this last run of 82. And it's been a nice run. What do you think? Pirate movie forever. <laughs> do you have this DVD? Maybe I should just send it I to do. you. <laughs> I have the DVD. I have the soundtrack on TV. I love this movie. It is delightful. It's one of the ones that I actually have two copies of because I loan it out. Gotcha. To people. I love it. Kyle, final thoughts on 82. A great year for science fiction fans. A great year if you were growing up. As a fan of scene science, we have a lot of good stuff. But you know what? The story of 1982 is that Steven Spielberg, against his better judgment, put E.T., the extraterrestrial, out in the same year that Megaforce came out. He took a <laughs> chance, and it paid off. <laughs> yeah, tough competition there. Wow. Gosh, yeah. Uh, yeah, this was a good year, uh, 82, uh, as nicknamed the greatest geek year ever. Of course, G.I. Joe came out and uh, a bunch of other fun stuff for us geeks as well. So big fan of that. Uh, so I got a question for you guys. Which movies, if any, would you consider watching that you haven't seen in this podcast that we discussed? Kyle, I'm going to start with you. That's a good question because there, there, there's a couple in there that grabbed my – my interest, I, I would be curious to maybe to try out the verdict if I'm in the right mood. Obviously, the version of Scarlet Pimpernel. Um, one thing, I, I, I didn't get a chance when we talked about the man of Snowy River. I will never in my life watch the man from Snowy River because that became a very popular movie for some oddball reason on cable in Alaska. And it was all my sister and her friends could talk about. And I made a solemn vow then and there never to watch the man from Snowy River. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, where, where did you say Kiss Me Goodbye was streaming? Uh, it was. It's owned by Turner Classic Movies, TCM. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, 
All right. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I might have to check that out. Uh, what about you, Lacey? What of this list do you think that you might check out? Um, the verdict is on Blu-ray at Amazon for ten dollars, and each of the forty-eight hours are twelve ninety-nine for each one on Blu-ray. Um, I am hitting checkout now. Nice. Look at that. We just sold our yeah, one. Yep. So, forty-eight hours. Perfect. Nice. Yep. Awesome, guys. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, guess what? We got 1983 coming up next year, and uh, we have got some movies to discuss. Here's just a, off the top of my head. Here we've got War Here Games. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Would you like to play a game? Yeah. War, ga- War Games. The Global Outsiders. Nuclear War. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got The Outsiders. Return of the Jedi. Crawl. Risky Business. Valley Girl. Scarface. BMX Bandit, Superman 3, Uncommon Valor, Christine, Strange Brew, just to name a few. I think I own every single one of those with the exception of Scarface. Ah, gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that's going to be a fun year to discuss. But anyway, guys, let's wrap things up here. First of all, you are listening to the Fandom Podcast Network or watching us on YouTube. And again, if you have been listening to this, check out the YouTube uh, video because we have all the fun posters up there and all the visual aids that we've been discussing. Uh, Subscribe to the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube, please. And also check us out on fpnet.podbean.com for our master feed. And check us out on Facebook as well. And you can download everything on that Podbean app. Fandom Podcast Network is on all major podcast platforms, which includes Apple Podcasts, iTunes. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Instagram and Twitter, the Fandom Podcast Network is also there. Follow us there. My name is Kevin Reitzel. I am on Twitter and Instagram at Spartan underscore Phoenix. Kyle, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AKyleW or on Instagram at AKyleFandom. Kevin, do you know somebody who would want to go on a train ride with me? Because I get ready for 1980. <laughs> I'm looking forward to diving into that. There's going to be some good movies there. <laughs> um, I don't know if I got that reference. What are you referencing? Uh, a risky business. Oh yes. Now I, I always think of the crystal, the crystal uh, mm-hmm. thing. You know, <laughs> Lacey. Yeah, Lacey. Where can we find you uh, in the socials? Uh, you know what? I'm on the Facebook, uh, probably there, uh, sure. and I have the Twitter as Lacey Pants. All right. Lacey Pants on the Twitter and Instagram too. You still do Instagram, right? I I look at Instagram. I don't contribute to Instagram. Gotcha. The same, gotcha. which honestly, I don't contribute to anything. I'm very non, uh, yeah, I don't, I, I'm a, I'm a viewer, not a participant. Gotcha. Lurker, lurker. Uh, you could support the <laughs> fandom podcast network two ways. Uh, give us some love on um, reviews on your uh, podcast platforms, whatever you listen to us, uh, like Apple uh, uh, Podcast, iTunes. We love five-star reviews, of course, but please give us some feedback. Also, head on over to our T Public store, support the Fandom Podcast Network, and Time Warp, and get your own Time Warp t-shirt like I've got here as myself, and uh, we've got some other great uh, um, shows, uh, uh, great stuff that you can wear from other shows. So make sure you check that out. Lacey, thank you so much as always. I love movie nerding out with you and we appreciate Yay. everything that you have done with us. 82, the greatest geek year ever. Uh, love it. And uh, 
Thanks for the uh, the kiss me goodbye uh, recommendation. I'm going to try and find that in uh, in '83. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> right on. Sounds good. Kyle, as always, sir, thank you so much for being part of Time Warp, man. Love you. Yeah, it's always fun to be here. I'm glad to be done with 1982, and I'm getting ready for 1983. In fact, I think I'm going to go play a nice game of chess right now. <laughs> nice. Thank you guys. And like I said, this has been 82, the 40th anniversary. We've wrapped things up and we're looking forward to next year, 83. And uh, thank you all so much. And uh, thank you for joining us here on the Fandom Podcast Network for Time Warp. We'll see you next time. See you later.